Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everyone, welcome back. Welcome back? Welcome to, for the first time, if you're a returning listener, welcome back to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm here this week with James, or JM on Cars, as he's, he's known on the internet. Hello. Hello there. How, can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Uh, yeah, so I was for a few years hoping to be a professional film TV cameraman. And that didn't go so well, so I decided to kind of flip sides of the lens and have spent the last five years trying to essentially recreate uh, old, like, 1990s Top Gear by just doing old-fashioned car reviews with the odd bit of sort of motoring drama uh, in the middle of it. And it's, it's gone quite well. It, seem, it, seems to be going, it seems to be going very well. Um, how, so have you, let's sort of wind back to early days-ish, have you always been a car guy since, like, you were yeah. little? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I actually got my motorbike license before my car license. Nice. And there's one single reason for that, which I, I sort of had a passing interest in motorbikes. Like My dad was really into bikes, but that never really translated like I had an interest, whereas I was definitely into cars. Yeah. But I knew that if I got my, my grandmother offered to pay for um, lessons for my 17th birthday, <laughs> so I decided if I got her to pay for motorbike lessons, at some point in the near future, my parents would realise it would be really worthwhile <laughs> me having a car licence so I could be their taxi when they wanted to come home from the pub. But if I had a car licence already, I couldn't convince anyone to pay for me for bike lessons. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I actually got my bike licence first, car licence immediately afterwards, and I grew up mostly... Uh, kind of in the sticks or when I did live in town it was kind of far out so originally I mean it was a, a desire but also a necessity like I needed a car yeah. otherwise I couldn't go anywhere that is a that is a good move getting your most by lesson and also convincing like 
your grandmother, my grandmother, I don't know, maybe whether she would be like, I don't know whether I want you to ride a motorbike. Like that was a pretty it good was, move. It was very difficult um, <laughs> because my grandfather actually died in a motorbike crash. Oh shit. So um, as you can imagine, it wasn't the easy thing to convince, but I, I was quite lucky in that my family took what I think was a fairly um, like healthy attitude towards it. Mm. In the, you know, there's two ways you can go about it. Either you can be like, no son of mine is going near this, any other. And as at the time, my father was running like a support team uh, in one of the British superbike races. Like, kind of, it would be a little bit hypocritical of him to be like, no, no son, you're not going anywhere near <laughs> motorbikes. It's like, dad, that's what you're doing every weekend is playing on motorbikes. So like, you pull the other one. Um, but what they did instead was they took the attitude of like, okay. If you are going to get into bikes, let's make sure we get you on something, you know, reasonably new, relatively safe. You know, we'll make sure to buy you, you know, the the right protective equipment, you know, get you good training, like all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, went out with my dad and he would, you know, show me like the, you know, some of the the obvious rules of the road and then some of the sort of unwritten rules of the road and and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was was very glad that they took a sort of fairly healthy sort of attitude towards it because they could have gone very differently. And it's definitely a better attitude overall because at the end of the day if you want to ride a bike you, you will end up riding a bike mm-hmm. and if they can put you it start you off in the right direction at least somewhat sensibly then you're less likely to have a massive crash just a little yeah, bit less yeah. likely <laughs> absolutely and i still remember a lot of the things that i learned as a motorbike rider now i mean i haven't ridden a bike for years mm. but it's something that always stays with you and i think you can sometimes tell a car driver when they're also a biker because they they do behave quite differently you know the things that they do the ways that they act on the road also you can tell when they spot other bikes because you know the if you're if you're a biker and you come up behind a car you'll know if they're a biker because they'll instantly move over they'll signal they'll let you pass like the whole shebang so and and bikers are the friendliest people i did my uh cbt which is compulsory basic training so you have to do like a day in a car park to get your license or your basic license here i got a flat tire within two miles of having got that so my first my first ever experience on a motor vehicle in the wild on my own you know big exciting you know the world is your lobster i get a flat it probably actually wasn't even two miles it's probably like one mile i got to this roundabout and the bike was kind of doing this thing and i was like oh that's that doesn't feel so good like i'm, I'm just gonna pull over and see what's going on and yeah it's complete flat mystery flat as well like there wasn't a nail in it or anything and within about about 30 seconds of me being on the side of the road, a biker had come around the roundabout, seen me, came around again, pulled over, off- offered his assistance, and it's nice. like, this is crazy. Like, these bikers are so friendly, like, so willing to, to help each other. That was great. When you've got a motorbike, I guess it's not like a road bike. It's not like you're carrying a spare inner tube. It, presumably, no, you no. get sort of towed or something like that. What I actually did on that occasion was I phoned up the guy who'd just done my um, my training, mm. and because you know I was a mile away from them, and I was like, "Hello, it's me. Remember me from you know <laughs> ten minutes ago?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "So I've got a flat," and he's like, "And." <laughs> like, it's like, like, well, I I I know you've got a trailer. Like, I was really hoping maybe you could come and get me and he's just like grumble 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 (laughs) okay so he came and got me and and then you know towed the bike back had to phone my dad's like dad i've got a flat tire already like can you come and get me and he's like yeah fine so he came and get me and and then yes i had to wait like another week or so and then to get dropped back off and then to have my triumphant ride home on my own so yeah that was that was irksome 
but you know, <laughs> an entertaining way to start my motoring career, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it, it, a point you brought up about the um, being a, a riding a motorbike. I I had an off-road motorbike, had a motocross bike when I was younger, but I never rode it on the road. Um, but I do somewhat an amount of cycling now, and that in itself has completely adjusted how I treat cyclists as a car user. Mm. Like you realize the problems and the things that they have to deal with that you don't as a car. And I imagine it's exactly the same with a motorbike and it really should be mandatory. I think for everyone to kind of have a go on all of them, if that was possible. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, doing like even two days on a motorbike, I think would dramatically change most car drivers perspectives of things, especially if it's a moped. Like, around London, not really such an issue, but, like, around where I grew up, like, there's a lot of 60-mile-an-hour limits. And my moped was still restricted and everything, so even on a good hill with a, you know, a heavy tailwind, like, I'd get maybe 35 out of it. Yeah. And so you you really have to learn awareness because, you know, you'll think there's no one behind you, and you'll look and you'll be like, oh, crikey, no, there's loads of people. And you're like, okay, well, let's get these people past. And and I agree entirely. Like with cycle, we get a lot of cyclists around where I live, yeah. and it frustrates the heck out of me when I see people overtaking them. And if it was a car they were trying to overtake, they wouldn't even try. Like they, they wouldn't even yeah. bother, even if it's a car doing ten mile an hour. But because it's a cyclist, they just think it's okay. And it's like it's it's really not like and it, it angers me because obviously I use these roads a lot. I want to try and yeah. stay on side with everybody around here, and so I, I see people just going, "Ah, so it's just cyclists. We'll just get past and hope nothing's coming the other way." And it it, it, it drives me crazy, but you know, you get these things. It does, it does. And then I've definitely had it as a cyclist where you're going quite fast, like you're going the speed that's probably the speed limit or like a touch yeah. under. But there is definitely a psychological bit. And I think I'm a bit like this as a car driver as well. That you're like, well, I should go past the bike because I'm in a car. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but if they're going the speed limit and you're not going anywhere, yeah. does it matter? This When London started doing all its 20 mile an hour limits, that mm. was one of the things that frustrated me because, like, you know, your average cyclist is probably doing, what, 15 or something like that. Mm. So, um, you know, when you've got a 30 mile an hour speed limit, like, you can get past them quite, quite, quite briskly. Uh, but when it's a 20 mile an hour limit and they're doing like 16 mile an hour, you're like, oh, I do want to get past them. But also I don't want to get accidentally done for speeding. Yeah. And you just and it's the whole thing of like, oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. And then obviously you're, in London, you're supposed to give people a meter and a half. And it's like you find me a meter and a half of space in London. Yeah, that's like, impossible. It's just not going to happen. You just go yeah, and not, not put them happening. in a gutter. That's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you will see the odd people like, I mean, we used to get it a lot. So I used to live in um, uh, sort of uh, Suffolk uh, and um, you get the A14 cutting through and they would do cycle races there, oh, yeah. you know, quite frequently. And I just never understood it. I mean, I used to do a lot of cycling when I was younger. I wish I did more of it now because I probably should do it to get a bit fitter and healthier and all that jazz. But it's because I know the roads around here. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not cycling around here. Like, they are even well-behaved car drivers. Like, there's just not space here. There's just Mm. not space for everyone. Um, But, yeah, people do these cycle races up and down the A14. And I'd be like, are you – have you got a death wish? Like, I just – that doesn't sound fun. Like, that does not – that does not sound or look fun. Like I see guys doing it in the south of France. I'm like, yeah, that looks great. The scenery's beautiful. It's spectacular. You know, I go up into Scotland. And I go to Test Street in the Highlands, and you share that with a lot of cyclists. And you're like, yeah, this is gorgeous. It's amazing. The scenery here is beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful place to be, especially when the sun is out. A14, even on a on a glorious summer day, it's horrible. <laughs> it's like, why? Why would you do that? And you've got lorries yeah. going past you at 65, yeah. and you're going 30. 
or maybe 35 yeah, and, or something. And, and, um, and people are killed all the time. Like, all the time. They're just Because you get one lorry come past, would then suck the cyclist into, yeah. the, into the road. Next lorry comes past, bang, you're like, great, you're just a sort of dust that used to be a person <laughs> on a bicycle. And it's like, it, and what were, you, what were you trying to aim? You're like, I was going to cycle up and down the A14. I'm like, to me, that's just like, when someone says to me, here's something you could do where you might be killed, I'd be like, no. No, it doesn't even sound fun if I don't get killed. And it's really not fun if I get killed. So, Surely there's a better back I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, there must be. There must be. You know, we had the... It was one of the... I think it was like a, a women's tour. It wasn't the Tour de France, but we had some sort of reasonably yeah. big cycle tour come through here. And actually, that was lovely. You know, they sort of closed the roads off. You know, like, yeah, actually, it's a really nice place to cycle, especially when you know there's no traffic. And, and that was lovely. Like, do it here. Like, don't, don't do it on the A14, please. <laughs> don't do it like, on an A road. That is definitely... No. I've, I was up in Norfolk, and I came across... It must be some people doing some t- time trial or something on effectively a motorway and you're just like no 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 guys, guys oh, that'll be the a11 then there's a place and a time and this is not it so we, yeah, yeah. we seem to have gone off onto motorbikes and cycles but um so cars your family was heavy yes. into motorbikes also into cars yes yeah very much so i mean we we didn't have um much money when i was born um my uh, dad or my parents i guess i should say had started their own business so i i quite literally grew up on workshop tables um, in like a, a unit in an industrial estate nearby. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, dad always, he'd always been into cars and, you know, I guess he'd had some odd cars as a young person. My grandfather was also one of these weird people I think we all encounter that isn't really into cars, but has also owned some really cool cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you get people like that. You're like, oh, you must love cars. Mm, not really. But like, but they happen to just keep buying like he had a Renault Fuego Turbo, like stuff like that. Um, he was going to buy an Austin Princess, uh, which my uh, which was which would have been the car my father was going to learn to drive in. Um, so when he was 17, my granddad was going to buy an Austin Princess. And my father was very much prepared to never speak to him again. Um, <laughs> if he had to, you know, as a 17 year old young lad, you know, lad about town, this was going to be the car he got to drive. Yeah. Fortunately, something, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but something went wrong with the British manufacturing industry and the princess was not available. So instead, my granddad bought an Alfa Romeo Alfetta GT. And he's like, well, you went from buying, like, the least cool car you could possibly (laughs) buy to the most cool car you could possibly buy. And then my dad got to be a 17-year-old driving about in an Alfa Romeo Alfetta. And he's like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, But, yeah, he had... Quite a mix of cars uh, we had in the household growing up. Um, so there was sort of fairly humdrum stuff when I was younger. You know, usual sort of Vauxhalls, that sort of stuff. A lot of work vans. There was yeah. a lot of vans in my childhood. Um, I got a real fondness for vans. Um, then some nice stuff did appear. Um, there was a Ferrari 328 was probably the first car nice. of like of note. Although, yeah, it tells you how you remember things. That when I was young, I thought it was the worst car in the world because it didn't have a radio in it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was just there was just a hole where the radio was supposed to be, and I was like, "Dad, this car's rubbish!" Like, <laughs> I don't know why you bother. Send um, it back, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is awful. Like, yeah, why are you so fussed about it? Um, and he had an E thirty six M three cool. pre Evo, the early one, um, which I think was Boston Green. Uh, so he had that. Uh, then later we had a um, 911. Uh, so he had, then he had a, another 911 sort of after that. A couple of Jags had an S-type when it was a new thing. Um, then the old XKR, 
um, and some various bits and bobs, and it then got onto my own sort of also a, a different stuff really yeah, sort yeah. of later on. But um, yeah, no, very much responsible for my enthusiasm <laughs> in cars. And did you oh, yeah. you evolve from the it hasn't got a stereo to ooh. Uh, eventually? Eventually, he eventually then got a three five five which is the yellow 355 that, that has been on the channel, um, which I'll confess, and this is actually the first time I've confessed this, I, I hid the fact that that was my father's. Hmm. Um, because when I was starting out, um, I, I, I'd seen already what, what, what happens with people. Um, you know, I've seen it happen to, to, to Tim and to Sam and to all the other guys, and I just thought, yeah, okay, my dad's got a Ferrari, like it's a... You know, it's an old one. He's had it, you know, he's had it since 1997. Yeah. Um, and, you know, never sort of really upgraded it. You know, he bought it then and that was his thing and he's, he's just kept yeah. it. Um, you know, he's got a couple of other nice cars. And I, I just sort of thought like, yeah, if I kind of let on, you know, especially as I was starting the channel, I'd bought my Lotus. So, mm. you know, the first thing I did on the channel was, here, I'm buying a £70,000 Lotus. And I just thought, if I go and do that, and then I also say to people that, oh, my father has a Ferrari, yeah, yeah. the connection is going to be instantly made. Oh, obviously your dad bought you the Lotus then. And it's like, actually, no, that's, I really wish that were the case, but no, that's not how that happened. So I kind of elected, like, if it was anything sort of reasonably nice like that, I would kind of just be like, yeah, someone in the family has this, you know, um, because the fact is it was irrelevant. So I just, I didn't want to open myself up to to that whole kind of thing early on. Yeah, um, totally. Now I'm more comfortable talking about it because obviously the channel's at a stage where people can quite obviously see, like, yes, no, evidently you're doing enough there to be able to pay for your own Ferrari. So, um, so, so yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one, that, like, and, and the way different people go about it. I think you probably have an opinion on this. Like, you, there's certain people, like, I, I've... I'm not, I'm not like a massive YouTuber or anything, but I fully admit all the time, I'm like, I have a great background, extremely large family business, sold, made a lot of money. That's why I have nice yep. toys. I choose to do all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. But there's a bunch of people, it, everyone's getting scrutinized, aren't they? They're like, okay, but how did oh, you, yeah. everyone's always just like, how did you afford that? Or like, did someone else pay for it? And everyone gets it. Tim, James, ev- like everybody. Um, and then different people deal with it in different ways. And that goes down mm. differently, I think, with your audience, because ultimately people can smell bullshit a mile away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. P- people are simultaneously much more stupid and much smarter than we ever give them credit for. Yeah. Um, yeah. They'll say yeah, really no, I, I agree entirely. <laughs> but then yeah. the ability to read between the lines, someone will say something you're like, yeah, but that's that's not the full story or it is or whatever. Um and you're, if yeah, you, no, you just got to do it one of two ways. You either go, either just say, yeah, I don't want to talk about it, you mm. know, or like you say, you just go like, yes, there is something there, or you know, or, or you, or you just be entirely honest about it, and go like, yeah, no, this isn't my car. I've just borrowed it for a couple of weeks or whatever, um, and and that's it. But like, yeah, I think if you try and start building a story that's not the truth i think people will and and it it would appear particularly maybe over the last 18 months that some people have a lot of time on their hands and are quite happy to sort of play amateur detective yeah um and try and work stuff out and they'll start going through companies house records and things like that and start you know trying to you know research histories it does 
it is quite funny sometimes because people will sometimes think that they've cracked a great mystery and it's like, yeah, no, actually what you don't realise is that when you think that thing happened, it was actually two months, you know, before then, um, as you well know, doing the YouTube bit yeah. and, and you was friends with a lot of YouTubers. Like, you, I have what I call like the, the storyline you know, and, and real life. And yeah. you're like, they, they, they broadly follow each other. But like, you know, I mean, like there's a car that I bought at Christmas time. Mm. It still hasn't made it on the channel because there's some stuff going on with it and I want to get it sorted out. And it's nothing particularly exciting or dramatic. It's just that when the car does arrive, I want it to be like, da-da, here's what it is. It's going to yeah. be a permanent feature. You know, so there's actually loads of stuff that's happened since then. And you've got this constant in your head trying to think, oh, crikey, no, people, no, actually, no, I haven't told anyone about that, have I? Like, oh, I better keep that a secret. And then, of course, <laughs> then, then people in your life know about the car, and I've had people nearly spoil stuff because they've then commented and be like, oh, but James, but what about your... And you're like... Yeah, yeah. Don't about it. Yeah, so, I've, you know, I've got the most massive respect for all these people that do that do YouTube, whatever their background is. The one thing I will always absolutely disagree with is this idea that to make in the context of car stuff let's say to make a channel successful is that you you need to have really fancy cars on it you know i've spoken to a lot of young people they're like oh if only i could get loads of supercars on the channel it'd be really big and it's like no no it's 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 not there was a guy called uh painos and he mostly did videos with his he had a say ibiza i think not mm. even a hot one like it was just a plain one and he did very basic videos essentially on how you drive a car yeah, that's what it was. You know, how do you do a hill start stuff like that? It took me about two and a half, three years to get my channel bigger than his. <laughs> like, and and he, and I probably covered like you know a hundred or two hundred different cars at that time, and he only did one. Uh, and ultimately, I think you can definitely make a channel successful without needing anything more than what you already have. I mean, there's channels out there. You have got um, it's stuff like Life of Palos and stuff where actually he wouldn't even need to feature any of his own car content, and yeah. he's still built something um you know so there's, there's always a way it just requires a little bit more yeah, creativity and, and the model of you know, buying a car doing some videos of it and selling it and then buying another car is it 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 works but you have to be it's only a small percentage of your content even tim mm. who's like it his channel's so successful that it, it totally works to do all of this stuff the majority of his content is other stuff. So yeah. you, it's not how you make a channel. Like it's making a channel is finding interesting content that other people want to watch. And if you find it, I think the main thing I found was like, if you find it interesting, there'll be people like you that will find it interesting, whatever it is. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you have to, and you have to find it exciting. It, it does worry me that, that I meet a lot, and you must get exactly the same, uh, I meet a lot of young people, including people that are like, you know, seven or eight, that want to be YouTubers when they grow up. Yeah. And it's like, you can't, you can't just do some YouTube. And I think they kind of see, you know, the kind of um, uh, Logan Pauls and Mr. Beasts and that of the world, and they think like, oh, I'll just sit in a tub of baked beans for two yeah. days and i'll instantly get 50 grand you know and you're like yeah no that works for some people but you have to you have to get there and if you do want to be a youtuber you're going to need a craft or a skill or a mm. passion about which you are knowledgeable enough that you can talk you know uh, confidently and competently for an extended period of time and also in such a way that you excite your audience because if you're not excited doing it like what the hell's the point like, just just don't bother 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you don't even necessarily you need to be knowledgeable about it. Like let's say, for example, this podcast. Okay, yeah. I've driven a bunch of cars. I have my own opinions about cars and whatnot. But the, the, the general premise of this podcast is getting other people on that know about whatever they're doing and asking them about their stuff. Like getting yeah. information, pulling information from other people who are professionals and who know all of their stuff. And that, that in itself, like you don't need a base to do that. You just need to be able to message someone and convince them to have a chat with you. But like to anyone, literally, you don't need, you don't need a car. You don't need anything. You just need a passion for it. And you've got to follow that angle and then, and then put in like a hundred bazillion hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? The people will um you know like at the minute i mean there's 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 two ferraris on my driveway right now one is one is mine and one is an 812 gts that's ferrari's nice. press car and like neither of those things materialized congrats on the 812 by the way uh, excellent cheers. choice um uh, neither of those things materialized on their own you yeah. know so people will look at you know the recent stuff and it's like they're already something like uh 800 videos on my channel so um you know i started off with some money that i had from uh from working in film Mm -hmm. and you know what what having money already in the bank gave me was just a bit of a safety net to kind of go okay i can you know i've worked out i can survive for you know x number of years without having to go back and haul myself out to, to film producers again um and 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 i can live so I sort of bought the Lotus and was like, right, let's, let, I was really serious about YouTube. I probably did it the wrong way. I don't think I'd really recommend to anyone else to do it, but I just went the whole hog. Yeah. I went all in. I was like, I basically gave up on film. You know, I felt like it had given up on me. And I just went into the YouTube thing. And, you know, the first year is is soul-crushing. I mean, it's it's horrendous. I don't... It's definitely possible, like definitely 100% possible to do stuff quicker and probably better than I did it. Uh, I picked Lotus, which is a brand that just nobody cares about. In terms of YouTube <laughs> analytics, Lotus is poison. Like, yeah. I make no secret about it. Like, I have told Lotus's PR to their face that that is the case. And unsurprisingly, they weren't too happy about that. Um, you know, if I do a video on a Ferrari, I've been looking through my analytics, as I'm sure you do all the time. I was looking through my analytics, and you'll get, broadly, so you get on YouTube, you know, you get the little graphs. It's mm-hmm. a rolling 28 days, the basic. And, you know, you get my sort of, you know, I get my views. They'll always do that. And it's, it's like a heartbeat because, you know, you know your release schedule. And then, broadly speaking, the, the, the money in will sort of follow that pattern. But whenever there's a Ferrari on the channel, you know, I'll probably get like a 20% income boost versus if I was doing, say, a, um, you know, a Ford or a Vauxhall yeah. or, or anything like that. And with Lotus, I actually made quite a big clerical error um, last year, which is that at Christmas time, I try and sort of push loads of content out because there's more money anyway, more more content means more views, means more revenue. It's simple business. I wanted, because I still love Lotus cars and some of the Lotus brand, I wanted to start off with a Lotus week. So I did like four Lotus cars, including some really rare stuff that does not get featured on YouTube very often. So I did a Cortina. I did a Type 14 Elite. I did a 211. Like the 211 did okay. 
but the the rest of them, I can't remember what the fourth one was, but the rest of them just died a death. Mm. And that basically took me a long time to recover. Had the same thing two years ago. I did a week featuring uh, American classic cars. Yeah. They don't do very well on my channel. It took me three months to recover from the lull yeah. that that created. And it's awful. So I'm never doing a Lotus Week ever again. Like, just <laughs> not happening. I'll do Lotus content. Like, I did an Avora video the other day, and that actually was a, bit of a, was a bit of a hit. But just on the whole, I can't do it because I imagine people just aren't searching. Uh, on the other hand, what it did do for me starting out was that I was able to then be the biggest fish in a very small pond quite quickly yeah so that was that was the trade-off and that was what i knew was going to happen and it, and it did and so it, it did work out like it, it it didn't bring me a lot of money uh, or a lot of views but it did bring me some i guess notoriety in those circles yeah. and and lotus owners are lovely people they really are yeah i've noticed that i did a video with i went to, down to the factory and drove a well, what did i do exige elise and exige uh 410 yeah. And did two videos. I had about an hour, blah, 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 filmed them. And then quite a lot of people came out of the woodwork because I don't think, like you said, not that many people make videos about those cars. No. And so those videos did reasonably well relative to everything else because I think they were just all getting shared like in forums and whatnot. And most people come back and be like, you can't drive and all those things. But generally... It was pretty like, it was like, oh my God, someone's talking about Lotus. This is great. Blah, 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 blah. So I had lots of like positive stuff back from it. But I think that's like doing it every now and then, the right car, that sort of thing. Yeah. Bef- let's dive back a little bit. What, so what were you doing in film? Or as a, were you a cameraman? What was it? And then what got you into that? So, uh, totally honest, when I was younger, my major ambition in life was to earn lots and lots of money. Sure. Um, so, because, you know, having lots and lots of money would then get me all the things that I, that yep. I uh, wanted to do. So I was looking into all the usual suspects, you know, I was like, could be an airline pilot, could be a lawyer. Um, at one stage, what I was looking at doing, where I wanted, where my life wanted to go... I was going to do a triple degree at Cambridge, which was going to be uh, a combination of law, German, and German law, because right. I also liked German and Germany. Um, and it was the su- German was the subject I was best at at school. Uh, and unfortunately, um, some things went on in my uh, personal life at the time. Uh, my parents split up. Uh, I was quite a probably affected me more then than i really acknowledged at the time mm. uh long story short i worked out that when none of your family talk to each other you don't really have to do anything because nobody <laughs> will notice um which meant that i wound up missing like huge chunks of school at quite important times mm. and i went from being a sort of top in the sort of county student to being a mm, you might just about scrape some A-levels here if you work really, really hard. Um, so unfortunately, along with that, went my chances to go to Oxford or Cambridge or anywhere similar. Yeah. Um, so I was I was in a real row. I was really stuck with my life. I just did not know what I wanted to do. I'd always been into film and I'd actually been part of like the filmmaking clubs and stuff at um, 
at school, you know, making like little end of year summary videos, all sorts of you know boring stuff. Um, you know, covering sports day and all that sort of stuff because yeah. I'd definitely rather be behind a camera than running. <laughs> so um, I, I I sort of did all that stuff and. And I'd never wanted to go into film because I'd always had this idea, um, much like computers, that was sort of one of my earlier passions. Uh, I'd never wanted to go into that because I thought, if it's my hobby and I then make it my job, will I lose all of the enjoyment yeah. of it um, as a result? So, but I'd screwed up by my by my own hand, uh, my chances of, of you know going and becoming some hotshot lawyer. So, uh, my my mother, I think, was like, "Well, you really, really like film. Why don't you Why don't you go to film school or you know study that?" And and as it turned out, there was a new film school opening up that was essentially so desperate for people to go. If you basically had the money to get in, um, then you were pretty much in. Mm. Uh, I, di- I didn't really realise it at the time, but actually it was quite a good education compared to what a lot of the uh, other people I know who did film got. Um, so, you know, the, the rates then were more than the tuition fees at the time, which was still three grand. Um, but my parents were kind of like, look, if this is going to actually keep you out of trouble and you're going to do it and, and put the hours in, then then go and do it. Yeah. So I... Uh, moved out of you know living in sleepy Suffolk, uh, moved to London, um, went and did a very intensive two year degree. Um, so because I worked out, I think your average university student got a longer summer holiday than I had time off over the entire two years. <laughs> um, so it's like it was a Monday to Friday, you know, long days, um, but a, but a good education. Yeah, uh, I went into it not really knowing what bit of film it was I wanted to do. Mm. Because, uh, you know, at the time I thought, obviously, you know, it was very possible to be, you know, um, writer, um, director, you know, author, visionary, dreamweaver, plus actor. Um, but uh, I I quickly worked out that it was the camera stuff. It was camera and editing were the two things that I really mm. kind of took to. But editing involved sitting in a room at a computer all day long. Yep. And as I spent my evenings sitting in a room at a computer, it seemed to me more obvious that maybe camera was the more healthy thing for me to do. My my camera mentor was a guy called Paul Wheeler, who's one of the really important people in my life. Um, he was great. I still get on with him to this day. Um, and he basically sort of taught me how to do stuff the proper way. So a lot of people keep telling me that some of the ways I do things is very sort of classic BBC. Yeah. And it's probably because I was trained <laughs> by a classically trained BBC man. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I then, uh, you know, gr- graduated and just started the hard slog of working on, you know, anything and everything that, that came my way as a, a cinematographer or director of photography or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, so that went on for about seven years. Cool. That is, I mean, that's, that, that sounds like a great sort of background to be mm. absolutely sort of overqualified for making YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In every time sense. someone looks at my, uh, looks at my camera, like, that's a big cam. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not at all. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's not even mounted to the floor what are you talking about <laughs> yeah i still i still have loads of like filmmaking pieces i've still got like like this little random thing which i know doesn't really look like much of anything this is a this is a ground glass so it's got like a you can't really see it very well you see it's got like a square kind of graved into yeah, it yeah. um so when you're on real old film cameras this kind of sits above the uh you, you, where your lens goes and this is the pattern so depending on if you're going to film wide screen or like you know anamorphic or four by three you have one of these these were like a thousand pounds each um 
and they mostly keep doors and things level around the house now. Um, <laughs> this tells you the value of filmmaking kit these days. I once worked out um, in my uh, lounge. I have a little surround sound system, mm-hmm. and uh, to get the speakers the right height, I. Um, I, I just put some boxes, and each of these boxes had some magazines in them, the old film magazines. And I then worked out that, according to their new prices, the stands under my speakers were originally worth £80,000. <laughs> 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 Which, nowadays, I mean, I, I quite literally cannot give them away. I've tried yeah. on occasions to give them away, and I, and I can't, because um, it's now obscure filmmaking kit. No one's really wanted for 15 years. Um, so I just keep it about the house and prop speakers up with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Has um and then so you, at what point in time did you go you reached the point where you were like, you know what, I want to give this YouTube thing a go. Had you made YouTube had you made YouTube videos before then? And what what no. yeah, at what point did you go actually cars, YouTube, all of that? So there were I suppose two or three key things that kind of pushed me out of film and then sort of I guess one that pushed me into YouTube. I'll try and give you the reasonably condensed versions. I was, I had bought, as a company I knew, they bought uh, old film TV, uh, actually mostly TV cameras. They bought a load of old film cameras, and I mean proper old school, like, you know, 80s stuff. Yeah. Anyway, they were trying to sell them, and they they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. They thought, because they knew TV cameras, they would know film cameras. The reality is, they're pretty different. Um, So... I knew the guys anyway, and I offered to buy this camera off of them, and I bought it for like a grand. At once upon a time, this was probably a quarter million pound camera, right? Yeah. So that's, if people people think Alfa Romeos depreciate, like <laughs> <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. So, um, so I, uh, I I bought this camera, and I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my chances here. I'm just gonna stick it on eBay for like three grand. Yeah. Because I actually knew what it was. I could test it. I could check it. I could do all the stuff that they couldn't do because they didn't have a clue what they were doing. Anyway, it it, uh, it sold. It sold within like a week. Nice. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. And I was actually working on a little film shoot at the time, a little feature film shoot up in Liverpool. And so I knew they had two more of these cameras. So I phoned them up and I said, hey, can I buy another one of those cameras at a grand? And they were like, yeah, sure. So I put that up on eBay and I sold that one within a week. And I thought, hang on a minute. With the, in uh, like a few hours of driving, a little bit on eBay, and a couple of quick phone calls, I've made more money <laughs> than I have working my ass off for four weeks, you know, in Liverpool for hours and hours a day. Being lit- I mean, literally at certain points, I was stuck inside a locker, like all hunched up <laughs> trying to get funky shots and stuff. And I was like, hang on a minute. So I then realized that there was much more money to be made in buying and selling kit, and also much more money to be made much easier buying and selling kit so i did that i then a few things happened basically there were a lot of directors and people that i worked with and some of them were very loyal to me but i started to get on more than one occasion where i'd really really work my backside off and i'd done everything that i could and and, and, you know you're a professional snapper so you obviously know what it's like and you know you you bend over backwards to give someone a deal because you know you know they they really don't have that much money and then the minute they get their next job where they do have a big budget, you'll be like, okay, cool. So you're going to, now yeah. you're going to hire me and you're going to actually pay me a proper rate, aren't you? And they'll be like, actually, no, no, we're just hiring the, this other guy instead. And it's like, oh, why, well, well, why not? It's like, yeah. oh, well, yeah, but no, but he, yeah, but, but no, but his show is a bit nicer than your one. It's like, he charges yeah, more. But, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, more to the point, it was the case of like, but they're like, oh, but yeah, but you didn't really do, you know, that good job on the last one or something. It'd be like, no, no, but the, the thing is, the shots that you wanted, you literally could not have because of the budget that you yeah. had. Like, it wasn't that I couldn't give them to you. It's just that you didn't have the budget for them. They were never, ever going to happen. Yeah. And so I realised that I, what I was doing is I had, like, probably at the time, I'd worked up, again, it took a lot of years, probably about 100 grand of camera kit in, mm. in, in the house. So, And I was like, what I realised was I was basically subsidising people's hobbies. And I just thought, sod all of this. This is this is this is not what I want to be doing. Yeah. And I kept looking at my boxes of, of cameras and stuff, and I kept looking at them being like, you could you could be a Ferrari, you could. <laughs> so I, I wasn't happy with I wasn't happy with where things were going. And so I decided, like, okay, sod it. Let's just let's just find something else in life. Let's just film is I am not in Hollywood doing multi-million blockbusters. This is definitely where I should have been by 25 or whatever. Like let's, let's, let's try and let's, let's rejig your life. So I thought let's sell all the camera kit and let's do something really monumentally stupid. You know, I'm not married and I have kids, you know, I was like, let's just go and buy something really crazy. Let's get a Ferrari, let's get a Lamborghini or something. And let's just muck around for a year while we work out what it is that I actually want to do with my life. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking at, at different cars and things, Ferrari 360, Lamborghini Gardo, the, the Lotus Evora was sort of quite high on the list. The 400 had just come out. And, and I was looking at that and I was just, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be really nice, you know, doing the man maths thing? I was like, wouldn't wouldn't it be really nice if there was a way of monetizing, you know, having a nice car? And I looked at the car rental thing, and that just seemed to be a hiding to nothing. I was like, no, that seems like it's going to be a nightmare. Isn't that just and, money laundering <laughs> for a lot of businesses? I, I think it is. I think, I think it is. I was looking somewhat. I wasn't really thinking, you know, Bugatti Chiron on at twenty grand a day, more like MGB at yeah. you know hundred pounds type thing. But uh, yes, I agree. So, but I then son, I just had this this moment. You know, when you get this like light bulb moment. And I was looking at Lotus, and Lotus Evora seemed like it was a pretty good candidate mm. because the one thing was, I had all this money in the bank, yes, but I was also giving up my income yeah. ultimately. So, if I had a car and it broke, I could not really fix it. If it suddenly threw me a five grand bill, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with this. Um, and I realised that like there was a couple of reviews on the um, on the Evora 400, but not really many. And then when I started looking into other Lotus content, I was like, hang on a minute, there's not really a lot of Lotus stuff on YouTube. I thought they're only a couple of hours down the road. Like you know, they, they must be nice people. And uh, if I buy a Lotus, like I can do a whole bit because you know I was looking at R8s, but by that time R8s done to death on YouTube. Yeah. You know, so I just thought, okay, let's treat it like a business. You know, let's treat it like starting a new business. Like I could do a YouTube thing. Lotus is my USP because nobody else is doing that. Um, let's just let's just try and make something happen, and you know, become a hit superstar YouTuber. That will definitely only take six or seven months, um, and, uh, and and you know, try and earn some money uh, that way. And that's kind of how that started. Nice. How often were you making videos at the beginning? So my my personal, I had a few like uh, I, guess, I don't know, I guess you call them prime directives, maybe, or, or just personal guidelines. Uh, w- one of those was going to be certainly in the early days is I was going to put out no fewer than one, but no more than two videos a week because yeah. especially early on, I was very limited in what content I could make. Like you were saying earlier, you know, I I just bought my Evora. 
but there is only really ever a set number of videos you're going to get out of a car and that's that's still true today so you know you're like i've bought this car you know then a little bit about why did i buy this car you know how much does it cost to run and service you know then the usual like oh six months down the line how's it been you know i'm gonna go and do a track day with it or something like that um so i knew that the car would only ever have so much life in it yeah uh, in terms of making videos i did a few comparison videos a lot of my first year of youtube was evolve 400 versus you know until i realized that that basically meant that 10 minutes of every single video i made was exactly the same um so so i stopped doing that um but yeah that's kind of where that all that all sort of started and then so you you committed to you know one maybe two a week mm-hmm. and it was yeah. that really hard i mean that is that is challenging at the best of times um have you found at the beginning was that particularly hard or did you think that's changed uh, so it comes in waves because see when you start off it's quite easy because like, i've got this huge big pile of ideas and you're like and most of them obviously are one-time ideas so the start yeah. is okay you know the first few months is all right and you've got the enthusiasm the excitement and all that jazz until you then start putting videos out and you see that oh 60 people watch this video <laughs> that i spent all day making like yay what i was lucky with was that fairly early on a few of the lotus dealers um saw what i was doing and my theory about being the big fish in the small mm. pond started to pay off lotus factory totally and completely uninterested in what i was doing um and that was understandable because i was a nobody but the the lotus um the lotus dealers were very good so a bell and colville in particular were, were absolutely amazing um and uh, jamie the sales guy down there would just let me come down and he knew i wasn't going to buy anything from them and i hadn't even bought my car from them i had um so I went down there and I would do stuff and then people would ask me and go like, oh, what's the what's the old automatic box like versus the new automatic box? So I went down there one day and what I can only describe as like a tsunami and drove the old Evora automatic and the new Evora automatic and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then so, you know, I was quite heavily involved in some of the, the, the Lotus forums and the, the groups online. And Lotus, for a tiny company, has an unfathomably large number of uh, owners' clubs and groups associated with it. Um, so I was active in as many of them as I could be. And, you know, the people sort of started to recognize my name within those circles. You know, I started getting recognized when I had like a thousand, two thousand subscribers, which was a yeah. very odd sensation. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yes, that's kind of how that started. And, and, and they were very, very helpful because, you know, that was a lot of my early content. And then, of course, I started convincing friends to let me drive their cars and all that sort of stuff. And then, probably after about a year or two, that's when people actually just started emailing me out of the blue, being like, hey, do you want to drive my car? And that's kind of gone from there. Yeah. And then you're getting to drive. Well, you've got an 812 GTS sitting on your drive. <laughs> yes i do regrettably as soon as we're done here i have to take it back which is going to be quite painful but um yeah no it's um yeah that's that's one of my most sort of i can call it possession one of my most prized possessions is the relationship that i have with ferrari partly the fact that i have one yes <laughs> you know a relation a relationship rather than a ferrari it's lovely to have a ferrari but like you know had you asked me uh, you know, a few years ago, I would have said, like, you know, the two companies that are by far the hardest to kind of get in with would be Rolls-Royce and Ferrari. Um, Rolls-Royce thus far, uh, no fruit there. Um, but Ferrari actually turned out to be really surprisingly nice, friendly, 
down to earth. I um, I get on with their PR guy exceptionally well, who for some reason taken a liking to me. So, um, and I've, I've worked with them on a few things when I when I did actually manage to get uh, my own car, um, and, that, and, that, and that's been really quite nice and quite unexpected. Like I just never even conceived that they would even answer my emails. Yeah, I've, so to be able to chat to them is nice. I've 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 not had any Ferrari press loans or anything, but. I've spoken to them a few times and the thing that struck me about them uh, over and above a lot of others is incredible honesty. They're just like, Mm. look, this is the deal. This is the situation. They, you're not quite there yet or whatever, blah, 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 job done. Whereas other people might just like ghost you or not reply or be like, ah, yeah, no, we've like, we've got no cars to lend anyone. And you're like, I know you do. Why are you lying? Yeah, Just tell me I you don't want to give me that. a car. Yeah, I have had that. I've had people be like, no, there are none of these. There are none of these anywhere. And then I'm like, yeah, a week later, there's like five people all have one. You're like, there, there definitely was. And it's the most, it's the most odd thing because you would expect, you know, that like, I guess, buying cars working with the manufacturers there'd be like a hierarchy it's like right you're first off you're going to deal with you know like Vauxhall or ford or someone and you're kia and and you're like and and then you Mm. might deal with you know bmw jag mercedes or so on you know and and then you'll deal with Porsche, and then you get to deal with ferrari whereas actually i dealt with ferrari before i dealt with porsche um i have dealt with uh bentley but Mazda told me no, yeah. essentially. Mazda were good. Mazda got back to me. The company I actually did have some of the most respect for was JLR um, because I emailed them. Again, I had about 10,000 subs maybe. So the channel had been going a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, everyone kept asking me, can you do an F-Type uh, comparison? Because the Vora, F-Type seemed a fairly natural rival. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't know anyone with an F-Type. And quite simply, I was like, if I don't know someone with the car, I can't get access to it. Yeah. So I thought, sod it, I will email Jaguar. Uh, and they came back, and they were very honest, and they said, look, thank you for your email, appreciate it, like what you're doing, your channel's just not big enough for us. Thank you. I was like, but what is big enough? Like, tell me what big enough is, and I'll come back. And they said, look, about 50K, and then we can talk. So, you know, two years down the line, I was getting to, like, close to 50K, and I sent them an email, and true to their word, they said, okay, yeah, you've, you've done it. Congratulations. Well done. What do you want? Nice. Brilliant. Whereas, yeah, some manufacturers just... And I've had manufacturers where I've met them at events and spoken to them, uh, and they have just totally and completely... What, one manufacturer who... I won't name, but they're German and have a three-pointed star as their logo. Um, they, um, I met them at an event, and a friend of mine had just sold his C63, which I was going to review. So I, I met them. They let me drive a car, a very nice, expensive car, and uh, that was nice. And I said to them, oh, hello, uh, I would love to do something with you um you know officially like yeah my friend of mine had a c63 i was going to review it could i uh could could i have one and they said uh oh we don't have one yes of course you do of course you do it's like you're one of your most popular performance cars of course you've got at least one and then they said to me um well no well we only give cars to people we work with (laughs) so it's like well that's that's a little bit 
kind of catch twenty two. Like how yeah. how are you expected to ever work with us if you don't give cars to anyone? You I'm just I, I was like start me off small. Like when I worked with Audi, um, you know they were very nice, and I, cause I I went to them asking for an R eight, and they said, look, we're not going to give you an R eight as a first loan, but how about an RS three? Yeah, cool, great, yeah, sure. I'll have the RS three. I'll not bin that. Uh, so I did the RS3. Actually, the videos did quite well, particularly for the time. That went back, and then I said to them, uh, oh, cool, can I have an R8 now? And they said, yes, you can. But we have just facelifted the car, so unfortunately, all of the, all of the range has just, has just been taken off the press fleet, and we're not going to get any back for a good 6 to 12 months. Um, and when they do reappear, obviously, you are going to be at the bottom of the list, which mm. is entirely understandable. Uh, and um, and that actually turned out to be quite a good thing for me because I said, okay, that's fine. But as a totally random aside, if you don't have an R8, do you have an A2? Which I think took them by surprise. Um, I don't think they were expecting me to ask <laughs> for that as an alternative. Um, and they sort of said, uh, oh, yeah, actually we do. And we've even got the special A2 3-litre. Um, that, that surprised me because that's not a model ever sold in the UK. Right. Uh, and um, a lot of the manufacturers I found when it comes to heritage fleets, they only keep stuff that was sold here. Yeah. Um, so I said to them, okay, cool. And, and they introduced me to the guy who at the time ran, amongst other things, the heritage fleet. And I did a video on the A2 and that, that video blew up. That, that did really, really well. And they were like, oh, Oh, this is this is really good, and nobody asked them. Nobody really ever asks them for the old stuff. Yeah, and they had this lovely collection of cars, and they were just like, "Well, what do you want next?" Like, you've basically you've really impressed us. Like, the video's done good numbers. It really doesn't cost them much at all. All they've got to do is actually drag it out of storage, you know, throw some fuel at it, throw a sponge at it, let me loosen it for a day, and off it goes. And they've just got themselves, you know, quarter of a million views um, and a nice bit of PR. So uh, that really helped me with Audi. Um, and then I got to drive some wild stuff like the Q7 V12, the RS2. Um, that was scary. That's that's up there in my most like, you know, moments when like someone's trusting me with something quite <laughs> precious here. And yeah, it's the RS2 that was one of their original press cars and only had 3,300 miles on the clock. Mm. Um, and it's just like, oh, please don't let anything happen to this car. Like, I'll never live this down. Um, you know, because like it's stuff like the... Um, yeah, you know, like the eight twelve. Like, if I if I obliterated that, if I took a corner too fast and I just completely, if I ripped it in half, it's going to be a very awkward conversation with Ferrari PR and and, got, and, and you know I've got to buy it somehow. <laughs> yeah, um, but at the end of the day, they can make another one. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the other stuff, like the Heritage Fleet stuff, they offer you. They're like, by the way, this is like the only one or yeah. you know there's only two of them and the other one's over there in pieces like so you're like that no, that terrifies me expensive cars i have no worries driving like expensive cars it's like it's just money i have an insurance policy like there's a reason we have an insurance policy it's fine but then when you get people say like oh this frog eye sprite was my granddad's car and he bought it brand new in 1957 and my dad learned to drive in it it's been in the family for 60 years and you're just like I know it's only worth like a few grand, but also it's simultaneously yeah. priceless. Um, so it's just like, oh no. I just have a great fear of damaging anyone else's stuff. With, oh, like yeah. cars, basically. Uh, all, all, no, all stuff, really. If, if someone's lent me something and it gets damaged, I feel horrendous, even if it's like yeah. not my fault. And I've yeah. had uh, 
a car lent to me by a manufacturer that was parked up and someone managed to like hit it basically it was fine they'd reversed out the space next to it and and like tired the side of the car um which looked awful and i was like oh. and they were meant to be picking the car up in about an hour and i got some stuff and got rid of all the rubber and then looked at it like really like looked at it and it was only like a couple of scratches in the end but i was yeah. kind of like you know what i don't think i'm gonna ask for a press car from anyone ever again i can't deal with this <laughs> this is awful Oh, it's horrendous, isn't it? It's, it's just like you get like heart palpitations. I mean, like, I mean, to be fair, I expect I'm probably far more concerned about it than the PR people are because I've I've seen what happens to some press cars. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, and poor old Honda didn't actually have much luck because I was supposed to drive their uh, new NSX, yeah, and it got um it got t-boned by an old lady at a junction. Oh. Um, I thought it was just a journalist just yeah taking you know a few too many liberties no to, not not the case at all like no it just got that's basically their light went green her light was red she didn't even notice and just drove straight into the side of it and just yeah completely destroyed it um and that was quite annoying because i was like oh i was like is everyone okay <sighs> good oh now i'm annoyed i'm like oh grumble grumble like i really wanted to go in that car and, and they were like yeah we don't know when we're going to get another one this is going to take ages um and yeah you, you you do worry about these things I mean, i'm always like horrendously concerned about you know damaging someone's stuff um yeah because they put faith in me you know they, they've, yeah. they've put their trust in me and it's like i want to make sure that that trust and faith is is rewarded um it's hugely important i've probably got too much of a social conscience to do the job that i do because i get really wound up now when people bring me cars with really loud exhausts um, <laughs> The the record, okay, I'll tell you the record. That was a CLK black, mm. and it had the what do they call it? The long tube uh, manifolds, and pretty much I think no cats, and possibly not many, not much in the way of silencing in it. I could hear him f- when he was turning around, not just giving it the beans. When he was turning the car around for drive by shots, I could hear him a mile away. <laughs> Like, and you know when it's just idling and turning yeah. and I can still hear it you're like oh no you're like if someone doesn't come out and throw something at me today like I will be amazed like, absolutely amazed um, so I try and be very careful you know because if you are driving past someone's house you know Repeatedly. 20 times or whatever like like I would get annoyed you know I, I would get annoyed if someone did that here um, this is why I actually secretly really love doing classic cars and crap cars because like if someone brings me like a knackered old like Citroen C2 like brilliant <laughs> absolutely brilliant because I can kick that car's head in and I probably won't even really worry the speed limit. Hmm. I mean, and you will be able to relate to this. So the other day, I I needed to get some noise shots of the 812. Now, the thing with the 812 is when you've got your foot a little bit of the way down, it's a very different noise it makes to when your foot's all of the way down. Hmm. The problem is, with an 812, when your foot is all of the way down, that speedo is going up real quick. So you need high RPM to get that best sound out of it. But getting high RPM without really taking your liberty means being pretty much in that car in first and second. Yeah. So then you've got 800 horsepower in a two-wheel drive car 
in first and second, and you're deliberately trying to give it the big one, and it's just like, oh, this is like, oh, this is quite nerve wracking. And then I wound up getting a, a, yeah, telling off from one of my neighbours who was like, I heard you, like I heard you go down that road, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, well, you probably did. Like, <laughs> now it doesn't bother me too much because like, I know I wasn't actually going that fast. What I was doing was doing pulls in first yeah. gear, which you'll then edit together to try and make it look like it's a sort of more dynamic, more action paced scenario. But it's just like, oh, no, like, oh, I'm going to get so told off in this thing. And um, that, absolutely, like, trying to do that in that car, like, trying to yeah. give it, you know, you, that under load sound requires putting your foot down, and it's got 800 horsepower. And in, like, first yeah. gear, that's, it, it just, it can't take that. <laughs> and then you're just going really fast. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was funny. I was watching the um, uh, the Love Cars review the other day. They just did the 812 GT. Funny, the exact same car that's now yeah. sat on my driveway. Um, and uh, we were watch- I was watching it with my friend who'd helped me with the 812 review. And you got Tiff driving the car, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I've got a full throttle now." And I mean, obviously they edit it and all that jazz, so it's it's probably a bit different. But I was like, "You're not full throttle, Tiff," because we could hear the car going like. You're just like, oh, no, yeah, no, no, you were, you were doing what I probably do, is just, you just, you got the throttle on, so it is accelerating, yeah. but like, you're being very gentle. That, the first, like, I mean, I, I, I put my foot down in that car the other day just to see what it would do, and it span until I changed into fifth. <laughs> um, and so I can understand entirely why Ferrari are quite, um, cautious about, who and when they give that car out totally um you know so it's it's you know on the one hand you're like this is a great honor like i am being trusted to to have this but equally so actually i pretty much said with that car like it turns everyone that drives it into uncle ben because you keep going around telling everybody like with great power comes great responsibility because <laughs> you think like there are probably a lot of people out there that think they've experienced a fast car, like my old uh, supercharged M3, you know, 600 odd horsepower. This is not a slow car. You, you drive that, and you're like, no, 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 no. This is this is this is this is a different the, thing. I the mean, engine I mean, response. Everything about that car is like yeah. nuts. It, the first time yeah. I like, pulled out of when I bought mine, drove down the road, get onto some slightly windier stuff. And then was like, oh, let's you know, let's see what see what happens. And, and and I was in race, and I put my foot down like quite hard, not like rolled into it, but then uh, you know gave it some. Yeah. And immediately you're like, okay, right, yep. I will back out of this now because I've got a lot of wheel spin and a bit of angle, and I didn't really expect that. <laughs> no. no, I would anyone that's going to try one of those cars if they've not like you know if they're not an F12 owner or something I would probably say to them like take it on the dual carriageway like get yourself in the middle of two lanes yeah. like make sure it's perfectly dry like leave it in sport in sport like, exactly and, yeah and 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 then try and then like if that doesn't scare the hell out of you then do race and then see how you feel about it cuz like it's i mean it's amazing i love it because it it's actually a car that really demands of you as a driver like if you want to be on it like you can't just muddle through and you know, it's, just, it's fine like no no you, you pay attention with that car it's got enough enough power you know it's got a, more than enough power but there's that thing of like okay it's got a lot of grip but actually it's a front engine rear wheel drive car mine's on 4s's so not like tons of grip and it's you can play with it on the throttle 
I'm not freaking yeah. honing it around corners or anything, but just like yeah. you cannot give it full beans. Like so, and there's a there's all of the bits in between naturally aspirated engine that you get to enjoy all of that. But I just I kind of got back, and my wife is insured on it, and it was I was like, okay, when you drive this car, I'm just telling you now, be careful. She's really careful anyway, but like just. Be yeah. careful. And I, I don't understand how you can just buy that car. You can go in. Hey, most people will put it straight it? into race because they'll be like, oh, it makes better noises, which I think actually yeah. some of the 812 versus the F12, it makes all of the no- the same stuff in sport as it does in race, pretty much. Whereas previously you had to have the car in race to make it yeah. sound better and everything. But then you get the more... Th- responsive throttle and the less traction control and all of the other stuff so everyone's driving it around in race on cold tires and funnily enough you see you know someone binning it over a bridge like yeah that's i mean that was just so the i have something with with the performance cars i call like the 21 year old test and what that is in my head it proves a very different thing in other people's heads to me that is imagine you had like a 21 year old son or nephew or, or friend or something that had got some car experience you know maybe fiesta's t or, or something like that yeah. and, and you knew they're a perfectly sensible level-headed person that if you said to them you know enjoy it but take it easy that they would you know they wouldn't mm. feel the need to impress or do silly stuff you know so something like an ra or completely you know my neighbor's just bought himself a a, a facelift first generation r8 v10 and i'm like a sensible 21 year old i'd have no problem none whatsoever letting them out yeah. in that car i'm quite confident that they would be they'd be fine yeah you know merc a45 same like it's fine um and even to be honest i think an f8 i would probably feel the totally. same way leave it in sport but, no problem yeah yeah, F8 in sport. When I had the F8, I had that within about 10 miles. You're like, I got it. I know exactly what this car's capable of. You know, I've got complete faith in it and what it what it does. 812, I'll be like, not a chance. Like, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. no way. Not You're not going anywhere near it, sunshine. Like, you know, love you to pieces. Just no, because it is... And the F12 was one of the first cars I've driven... I hear a lot of people talk about some cars as being like, oh, they're undrivable, they're wild, they, they try and go sideways, you know, when you're not expecting them. People always talk about like old TVRs that way. In truth, I've only driven maybe a handful of cars that I think actually deserve that. The rest of the time, I think maybe it's people that getting something with 500 horsepower and think that you can just mash the throttle and there won't be consequences. Yeah, um, yeah and also tyre technology has come on you know quite a long way for some of these cars so maybe in 1995 yeah they were scary now ps4s is on yeah they're not but yeah the f12 and the 812 definitely fall into that i wasn't asking for it to go sideways category but it did um and maybe the only car being worse is the clk because the clk you look at it and you go but it doesn't even have that much torque like i don't even understand how it could be so leery and yet they found a way yeah Um, a a friend of mine had a, a clk I think it was a CLK Black Series, but it had so much torque. You literally just trying to pull out of a parking space, he'd be like lighting up real wheels <laughs> just to yeah. like a quarter throttle. Um, yeah. yeah, it's so easy to do. Nuts car. I had a really funny one with when I drove the 812. So weirdly, the first 812 I've driven was my 812. Um, and I spent a reasonable amount of time in an F12. 
before then. Yeah. Um, I Someone asked me, there's definitely been worse things I've done in my life, to drive a car from London to Stockholm um, yep. for a rally. I was going to be flying out, but I was taking pictures. And he knew that I used to drive in cars and whatnot and all that stuff. And was like, I, I need my F12 to get to Stockholm, but I can't really be bothered to pay for the, the transport to go to Stockholm. Do you fancy driving yeah. it? I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Through Germany, autobahn, everything. And I got out of that car and I didn't think it was nutty at all. Like slightly, but not really. And that's even like doing the sort of silly things of from low speed, low gears, giving yeah. it a lot of gas. I think that car was like 150 horsepower down or something because mm-hmm. it, it, it come over from the UAE, I think, and had dubious service history or something. But getting in the 812, putting my foot down to the level I put the foot down, I know it's a different engine. I know it's bigger, more torque, blah, 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 blah. But I felt like it has 300, 300 more horsepower than the car I previously drove. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, the F12 oh. I drove, I was moving it from the guy's house to this location he'd got for us and i was at 15 mile an hour and i gently pressed the accelerator and the car just <laughs> that. And, it's, and at that point i was like mm, okay that's how it's gonna be is it um because i drove on the same day he also had a bentley brooklands yeah um which again is the car sort of reputed to be like it's this great big tire slaying you know demon of a thing and i'm like yeah, I'm sure if you wanted it to do that, it would. But actually, when I drove it, the Bentley was more the sort of casual, like you put your foot down and slowly the torque appears and, you yeah. know, you just it's very serene, very wafty, like absolutely not an animal. Whereas the F12, granted, that was still on its original tyres, which definitely wasn't helping. Yeah. Um, you know, because they're probably five years, five, six years old by that time. But, uh, yeah, no, that was that was I, fun. I think like, tyres yeah. has got to be, a, is, is a huge part of it because, okay, my F40, driving that car, that doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare yeah. In the wet, driving, drive it fast, I, I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to play that yeah. game. But I think the tyre tech now, well, we know the tyre tech now is significantly better than it was when those cars came out. On oh, cold yeah. tyres, it will just spin them up, fine. But it doesn't, it, driving that car doesn't freak me out in the, any way, shape or form. I like, well, it's, it's wicked fun and whatever, but I don't, I'm not scared of the boost or any of that sort of stuff. But yeah. I, getting in the 812, and yes, it will be, I've only driven it a couple of hundred miles and I haven't driven it on track and all that sort of stuff to get used to how it handles. But just the power level versus the grip level, I'm like, okay, no, this is, mm, yeah, you can't just keep your foot in it in this car. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, the, the 550 I'm having issues with at the minute. I don't know what it's like with the the F40, but the 550 is a bit of a devil to get tyres for. They are out there, but it's that case of I want good tyres yes. and a matching set front and rear, and the only one that's really easy to get is the Bridgestones, and I don't want those. I don't really want Pirellis on it. I would prefer Michelins, um, and you know you go on it'll be like oh yeah no you can get these sizes then of course you find out that actually three out of the four companies that say they can supply fronts for mine are actually out of stock but then i keep hearing rumors that the tires are actually discontinued so i hope option number four really does have tires and i don't just order them and find out that actually they were ghost tires and they're just never ever going to appear and then i've ordered two rears that are now not going to match the fronts um but that car is on 
I think they're 2014 dated tyres. In the dry, if you're not being silly, it's perfectly fine. But if you spit on the floor, like it, 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 yeah, I it went sideways on me in fourth on the motorway. Um, so you know you you have to respect it. And Ferraris are the worst. If anyone turns up to me with a Ferrari or a Lamborghini uh, or something of that ilk for review, first thing I check is the dates on the tyres because they just don't get changed. Yeah, and and it's lethal. It's because they don't. Most Ferraris, it seems, don't get driven that much. So you're never wearing out the tyres. Like, no. 20,000 miles, that'll last 20 years. Eat like, 40 yeah. years, 50 years. Yeah, it's like 550. Talk to me about it. This is a car I really like. Um, I've not driven yeah. what was What's the journey of that and your experience with it as well? So I, you know, I always, always wanted a Ferrari. You know, mm. was always arrogant enough from a young age to assume that one day I would have a Ferrari. The matter of how I would get there was obviously just you know an irrelevance that's unimportant you know and then i found myself um so i i'd never bought a car on finance in my life ever including the lotus but because with youtube i was starting to develop a regular income Mm. the ability to get finance was starting to present itself and also i would trust myself to know that i could you know afford it so I was saving up some money for a deposit on what wasn't specifically going to be the 550 at the time, but was going to be something special because I'd sold my Evora a couple of years earlier. And because YouTube was basically a black hole for all my money, my actual, you know, when I started YouTube, I had on the driveway a brand new Lotus Evora 400, uh, a lovely Lotus Elise 111R and a Lotus XL and an E46 M3. Then, like, three and a bit years into YouTube, and what I had on the driveway was, like, a old 996 C4S and my supercharged M3. So the value of my fleet had basically halved in yeah. that time because... And I didn't have 50 grand in the bank, and that's just the cost of doing YouTube. But things were improving. So I started looking for different stuff. I was looking, fun enough, at Gallardo's, but I was sort of pretty much put off by all the horror stories. Um, the dream Ferrari was 355, but mm-hmm. an example that I would want, which I would want right-hand drive, I don't want to put up with, with the left-hand drive, um, I, I would want manual, um, and I potentially want a coupe as well. And that, conveniently, is the most expensive combination of, of all. Yes. Um, and I'd probably want an early one without the ugly airbag steering wheel and all that jazz. So that was a car that just seemed beyond reach. I also started looking at a lot of other stuff. Um, Aston Martin uh, Vanquish, uh, DBS, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, I considered yeah. a couple of Porsches, but I, I didn't really think they were sort of special enough. Um, as horrible as V12. it is. Yeah, V12 was quite nice. And the 550 was the sort of car that I just kept coming back to. I'd never driven one, so like yourself, the first time I ever drove a 550 was after I'd handed over all the money for mine <laughs> and I got in it to bring it home. Um, I remembered from, uh, now I believe it was uh, Apocalypse Clarkson from 96 or 97, where they called it the best handling car in the world ever. So I was like, well, that's got to be worth something, even 20-odd-year-old information. If it was a good handling car, then it must still be quite decent. And I thought, I really like cars that are strict two-seaters. I don't like two-plus-twos because I hate this sort of weird, unused seats in the back. I think it detracts from the specialness of the car. Um, I do do big journeys in my cars. So, you know, one of the things that counts against, say, the Gallardo is the fact the boot is microscopic and you just can't 
really get a lot in there. Um, the three for five, like I said, was a bit too much. Three sixties, I did quite like, but you know, Sam's kind of got that market wrapped up. And although yeah. I wasn't really buying a car for YouTube, YouTube certainly has to be a consideration. So I don't really want to go and follow a route somebody else is already doing. You know, so Sam's got three sixty great for him um you know seb had gone and got his 430 scud um so there was a few different options every time i went looking for something every single time i went on auto trader i just found myself back looking at 550s because like they're two seat they're a v12 manual ferrari and they are as these things go reasonably affordable but the majority of them were still well beyond my budget. Um, what I was hoping to buy, and the other thing that factored in was actually one of the few upsides, because COVID had happened, I was still, I filmed way in advance. So I was having content come out, but I wasn't going out and filming. So I was actually saving up my deposit quite quickly. Um, so I was hoping to maybe even be able to buy a car without having to do finance at all. Um, and there were one or two examples that cropped up. I went and looked at one, and it was absolutely atrocious. It was the shabbiest-looking 550 you've ever seen in your life. And the guy I was quite quite um, uh, miffed with because he had clearly put up pictures that were way out of date of mm. this car. The thing was a thing was a state. And as you know, anything fixing on a Ferrari, just like however much you think it's going to be, like just quadruple it, and then you're probably close. And you know, so so that annoyed me. And there was this other car that became the car I bought, and it was up for sale, and it was up for quite a bit more than I wound up paying for it. And I kept talking with the the owner of the car, who turned out to be a real enthusiast. He actually has quite a nice collection of other stuff as well. He was pretty much selling it because his uh, Diablo GT had actually uh, come back from its restoration ahead of time. And so he's one of these gentlemen that you know he's got the money to keep all these cars, but he liked to keep them at home. And he had only limited yeah. space at the house. So the 550 was just the one that, that had to go. Um, and I, I had actually made him an uh, an offer before, and he turned it down and said no. And I'd gone and seen this uh, really scraggly silver car. It wasn't even the color that I wanted. So I originally had this idea of, like, you know what? I'll buy this car that's, an, that's a heap. Because then what I can do is I'll repaint it a different color. You know, I'll retrim the interior. I'll make yeah. whatever I want to make out of it. Because if it's already a scraggly car that was unloved, nobody's going to really be upset at me about it. Um, but there was also this Rosso Corsa with cream Bordeaux car that kept, you know, teasing me. And I was so upset with this um, uh, this silver one. I'd driven down. It was baking hot. I'd driven down in my S2000, and the guy basically at the end of it, he just said to me like, uh, oh, well, yeah, at least you've had a nice drive out. And I was like, I'm, I'm not a violent man, but I'm like, <laughs> I, I will swing for you if you've let me come two and a half hours down and drove like, you know, 80, 90 miles to come and look at this car that is just completely not what you've described it as. Yeah. Anyway, on the way back, I was so upset, I basically pulled over at the side of the, on the side of the motorway somewhere and phoned my finance guy and said to him like, look, if I offer this other guy with the red car this amount, here's my deposit, here's what you'd have to finance, like, do you think we can do it? I've been working really hard all year. I was like, I got rid of all my debts, I got rid of my credit cards, I got rid of my overdraft. Like, I was trying to be like, and I'm awful with money. I am, I am totally awful with money. So I was like, look, I really want this car. Like, it just, you know when you get that car, like, you just, you're in the classifieds and you're like, that's, that's it, yeah. that's it. 
Um, but it was out of reach. And so I said to him, like, if you, do you think we can make this deal happen? And he was like, yeah, I reckon we can. I reckon we can. But here's the price. Here's the limit. And the limit was lower than what I'd already offered the guy. <laughs> nice, nice. So I thought, okay. So I literally, I phoned the guy and I said to him, look, I'll be completely straight with you here. Like, like, here's who I am. Here's what I do. I'm looking at buying this. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This car is going to be my first Ferrari. And he's like, I promise you, I was like, it's not going to go in a garage. It's going to sit on my driveway. I'm going to look at it every day. I'm going to drive the arse off of it. You know, I'm going to take it all around Europe. I'm going to do loads of stuff with this car. Like, I will use it and I will love it. Like, but this is my budget. Like, this is honestly to the penny what I've, what my guy said I can afford. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I know he'd already turned down offers to select dealers for more than that sum. Uh, but he said yes. Nice. Um, so I also had spoken to a few uh, people that knew the car and knew him, and and they basically and these are specialists, and they were like, "Yeah, if it's his car, just buy it. Like, just like it, you don't need to worry about getting inspected. Like, it's it will be as good as it as he says it is." And that luckily turned out to be true. Nice. Um, so the you know I had the car you know you know what it's like you buy a new car and it's, it's a used one like the first time it goes on a ramp somewhere and you're just like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh uh, this is the moment where I find out if I've been stitched up like a kipper or not and uh, and yeah uh, I I bought it incredible uh, day drove it home just smitten with it uh, within the first week I could, took it to Brands Hatch took it round track nice um because uh it was with open track and part of open track is they give you free photos so right. i was like i fancy some photos of the car and basically it'll cost about the same to get a photographer out as it would to just take it around brands and i thought it would be funny to just take this you know 20 odd year old ferrari and i was definitely definitely the slowest thing on track like um as it turns out like the tires lasted about I don't know six laps, but that was okay because the brakes only lasted four. Um, so it was a brand's indie as well, which is the worst place because the car's yeah. got power, but you haven't got anywhere to use it. <laughs> Just got um, but uh, but it was great because I was the slowest car on the day, and uh, everyone loved me because they were like, "But you've brought your Ferrari on track, like you've brought your your old Ferrari here on a track day. Like what a legend you are!" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah cheers, everyone. Like, th- thank, thank you very, very much." much. Yeah, um, and uh, and it was so funny because there was a track evening, 
and that day they had like one of these you know prestige track days so there was an lfa coming out as we was going in that sort of stuff you know, mostly mclaren and all that sort of stuff and all these people were driving out looking at the 550 and i was like yeah well if they they all their cars are much more money than my car and then I wound up in a garage next to a bloke who came over to the car and he was like, oh, mate, he's like the 550. He's like, it's one of the best cars I've ever had. Like, it's brilliant. He's like, oh, I sold mine years ago. Terrible mistake. Like, shouldn't have done it. And I was like, oh, so what have you got now? And he's like, oh, 599 GTO. And I was like, oh, that's that's quite nice. He's like, yeah, it's all right. But the 550, like, he's like, there was nothing like that. And I was like, I was like, okay, I guess I must have bought the right car here. And then... You know, because the 550 is another one of those cars that it's like everyone knows about it, but you try and find stuff on YouTube about the 550. Like when I was doing my research, mm. I tried to find all the 550 videos I could. Harry did about the only good one. That's it. The, 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 all the others were either really old, you know, so you're talking like from when the car yeah. was new and it's an old, old Top Gear from 97 or whatever, um, or they just weren't very good videos at all. And so I was like, yeah, I'm buying this thing pretty pretty blind and as it turned out yeah people absolutely love the car and luckily so do i it's 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 been spectacular um it's been really good to me that car brilliant it's it's one of those cars i look at and when i saw you had one i was like oh yeah that's cool like that's it's oh, just come, come and have a go sometime it's like. just damn cool yeah no i'd be i'd be well keen for that um yeah, yeah. During that, have you had any of the the issues that people worry about, you know, buying an old V12 car, like obscene bills or anything like that? Well, one of the things that pushed me to purchase the particular one that I that I have mm. is the fact that the previous owner had spent 17 grand on it. Um, so what had happened was he's the sort of gentleman where he he sent the car off to the garage to have its clutch and cam belt done. So they were only two years old when I got the car. So I was like, that's good. Obviously, the cam belt will need doing, uh, but it's actually not so expensive to do the cam belt on a 550 anyway. Um, and also, the clutch obviously only had like a few hundred miles on it. So yeah. it's like, okay, that's not a that's not a worry. Uh, I got the car, um, had it looked over, and yeah, honestly, it's given me a couple of bits of grief. Um, we found that there was uh, an old tracker in it had short circuited um and was draining my battery really quick um so we managed to fix that um i had an issue recently where the um cut off the fuel cut off switch failed and it was um making the car indicate left in the middle okay. of the night nice. um that was annoying um and other than that it's i mean it's going in in about two weeks time for its first service under my ownership mm. um and uh yeah i mean i'm not expecting any nasty surprises but no generally it, uh, i have spent money on it i've done the ferrari premium program which which they've helped me a little bit with um and that's more preventative stuff um and i'm quite fine doing that um but uh no it's it's actually been really good it does like a drink but it also got me uh from scotland to home in basically one tank of fuel it did over 400 miles to a tank that seems um, pretty good so, i presume it's got quite a yeah. big tank but yeah <laughs> uh, oddly here's the really weird thing right is that everyone i know likes to accuse ferrari of kind of you know maybe not being entirely honest with some of their numbers mm. and figures that they quote the one on the 550 that i don't actually believe is the size of the fuel tank because ferrari tell me that it's 114 liters and in reality i think it's probably close to 100 and that's the only it's the most italian thing i can imagine to try and exaggerate is the size of your fuel tank <laughs> um i just don't know what the benefit 
well, to them is going to be for that. But there you go. Have you filled it up to almost overflowing? As in, like, click, 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 yes. click, yes. click, click, click. Because the, the F40 is, is a bit like that. It, well, it's, it's almost yeah. the flip. I think it's got two 60-litre bags. Your bladders, there. haven't you, in that? Yeah. yeah they're, they're either 50 or 60. Um, but it goes down. It uses fuel at a rate that does, des- definitely doesn't equate to 120 litres of fuel. I think you have yeah. 50 litres left when it gets to empty. Yeah. Um, but when you get to full, I've managed to put another 25 litres in. Really? Like, it's just like sloshing between the tanks and like working the air out and all that sort of stuff. And you're there just like click, 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 click. But you, having now done it once, I know like 20 litres is a lot. That's a lot of extra. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a heck of a lot. That'll get you at yeah. least five more miles down the road. <laughs> so <laughs> these things are important. I found that with the 812. I was like, you know, when you're being gentle with it, it's, it's, it's actually not completely horrific on fuel. Yeah. But, like, if you want to start having fun, like, miles per gallon very quickly turns into gallons per mile. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's, it's I've, unreal. I've only driven mine back from the dealership and, um, and then around town a little bit. So I've done, like, a tank. Yeah. And, well, Ferrari very cleverly don't put an MPG gauge in their car. They're like, no, 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 no. Not something that's going to be helpful to anyone. You need to know how much fuel you've got and how many miles to empty. Yeah. But I think I, I, I put in a decent amount of fuel the other day. Um, it was taking ages to go in, so I didn't quite do it all day. And I think it said, you've got 160 miles of range. I was like, oh, <laughs> well the, the 550 is like that because i can do 400 odd miles to a tank but i also did about three quarters of a tank probably in about half an hour on track yeah so you know it's a the like the the ability to drink fuel is like so broad it's like it could be here the 550 i worked out i was doing 22 to the gallon um on That's the motorway which i I'm quite impressed for an old V12 from yeah. the era when nobody cared like how much fuel it drank. Like I was quite I was legitimately impressed with that. I thought it was going to be like 18 all yeah. the time, like regardless. So I was braced for it to be horrendous. <laughs> Actually, it's been okay. And I think the I think the 812 is like 25 or 26 or something. Yeah. I haven't worked it out yet, but it's something like that um, on a long journey in you know seven. Yeah, sure. It just depends. It's in I mean, the, the single the, digits. <laughs> The thing my dad always used to tell me is that, you know, with the Ferraris, you just like, you just imagine that the throttle pedal is connected to a bucket of petrol and just the more you push it, the more it's tipping out. And to be fair, it's probably one of the most accurate things he's ever said to me. So, yeah. An engine of that size, like six liters, six and a half liters or whatever, like that's a lot, that's a lot of liters in, oh. in, yeah, it's not surprising they get through it. Um, one of the companies we haven't talked about, and actually was the first time I came across you. I don't know how you... I wasn't mm-hmm. actually interested to know how you feel about this now. Um, yeah. I've written the McLaren saga down as a note. <laughs> it was going to It was gonna have to come up, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, can you give a, mm-hmm. a, a little summary for those people that have not come across you or come across this of, of, of what happened, how you went about it, if they and know, how you feel about it? If they know it? about me, they will they will know about the McLaren saga. Yeah. In short, um, my friend and his father both purchased brand new McLarens from McLaren Manchester, which is in Wilmslow, just outside Manchester, uh, about two years ago now, 18 months ago or so. Um, they bought a 720S is what the dad bought, and the son bought a 570S. It was the most awful, shambolic uh, experience I've 
ever known um, from any car dealership. Mm. Uh, I mean, so between them, they spent something like four hundred odd thousand pounds. And when it came collection day, rather than the usual car under cover, there you go. You know, um, because they dragged me along. I was basically the taxi to get there. Yeah. And they'd also said to me, like, I didn't ask to film it. They asked me to film it. I said, look, it's going to be a big day for us both. We're really excited about this. Like, you know, um, hopefully it'll be a really nice thing. Do you want to just come along? You know, we'll give you some petrol money and, and you can film it and make a video at the same time. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? It might be a little bit of thing for the for the dealership or whatever. You know, I was at 40-odd thousand subs back then. So I was, like, becoming an, an entity. But, you know, I would not be – it's very different from, from how things are now. So um, anyway, yeah, they, the, the cars weren't even at the dealership. They drove them from nine miles away. So the cars being revealed to the owner was they literally just got driven there. It then turned out that the 570 was damaged. Like, the, it was cracked. There was a crack that big in the front of the car. Um, we, my, my, James and I wound up staying overnight locally to try and give them time to fix this problem, which they then actually didn't do. Um, it was then agreed that the car was going to go back. It then got really bad really quickly. Um, we then wound up having to get a uh, another McLaren as a courtesy car. That broke. Um, then they had one other McLaren as a courtesy car. That had broken as well. Um, it all went very, very wrong. The, the funny thing about the video itself... So the video is called The Truth About Buying McLaren, a masterclass in how not to deal with customers. Because unfortunately, you would think in this situation, something like that happens. I mean, like, you know, like, you think the sort of customer that, 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 this, that you know, these people are, you know, like, £300,000 spending on a car. You think the dealership would be like, you know, if, a, if a fly spits on your car, they'd be like, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, sorry, we'll clean that, we'll sort it, don't worry, it'll, it'll be done. But they just couldn't give a... They did not care. Did no yeah. no one cared. No one no one gave a toss. And it was very frustrating. You're like, guys, like the amount of money is almost irrelevant. Like you've bought a car, like buying a car, yeah. whether it's a two thousand pound car or a two million pound car, it's probably a lot of money for you because the cars are expensive things. Yeah. You know, so it should always be a special experience. And the the car dealership experience should be a positive one. I think in general car dealers is a awful thing that's a topic for another video um but uh yeah anyway these people were atrocious but the problem i had was this i'd filmed a review of the 570 and a review of the 720 but the 570 wound up getting rejected the 570 wound up going back because it kept having problems the windscreen on it cracked all sorts of stuff went Mm. wrong so it got replaced with a 600 lt so the problem was so on monday Here's my friend James's brand new McLaren 570S. And then on Tuesday, here's his dad's 720S. And then on Wednesday, here's my friend James's new McLaren 600LT. <laughs> now, in reality, two months had actually passed. Yeah. But I thought, well, it's going to look a bit odd if on Monday he's got one McLaren and on Wednesday he's got another. So I really should do a video trying to explain what's, um, what's happened here. Um, so I just thought I'll, I'll do that. And the whole thing had just gotten absolutely out of hand. We'd gone to Woking at that point. They were just, they were not productive. Um, so I just thought, okay, all right, we've, we've worked and worked and worked. And the amount 
nobody would generally believe it, which is why it didn't go in the video, but there was a huge amount of other stuff that happened that I cut out of the video because I thought it would just be, like, entirely unbelievable. <laughs> like, um, it's mad stuff. But, um, yeah, so I put the video out simply as a way of explaining what happened. And the big part of it, I think the selling point, was that when these guys bought the cars, they both got asked to sign a document that essentially stated that yeah. the none of the panels will line up, the aircon won't work very well. The aircon refrigerant will escape. Um, yeah, if there's problems with it at high speed, there's nothing really that they want to do um, about it because, you know, if the car falls apart at 150, it's not their problem. All this stuff. And it was a document with loads of typos and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And they claimed came from McLaren, but it was very obvious that it didn't. And McLaren were not happy about it, so I should point that out. Um, so, yeah, so I put that out. It turned out the video wound up being, like, a smash hit. It's still my biggest video. It's got nearly 900,000 views on it, um, and it sort of made the channel over Christmas, uh, which is good and bad. It got people in, um, you know, and luckily a lot of them stayed because I was very worried, you know, you get a channel has a spike of growth. Yeah. You're like, are these people, are they going to hit the subscribe button and then go away? Like, do I have to make a, a, a dealer bashing video every week now if I, <laughs> if I want to, to keep the audience? You know, what's going to happen to me? Um, also what very few people want to consider is the fact that I was making this video basically sort of having a pretty big go at McLaren Manchester and McLaren themselves. And as far as I was aware, that video could have got 5,000 views. Yeah. And I opened myself up to some fairly serious, angry letters from McLaren's legal department. And I was told in no uncertain terms by several people that knew McLaren, that's exactly what was going to happen. You say anything negative about them and you're going to get a very angry letter from one of their, you know, trained attack solicitors. Um, This never happened. To this day, McLaren have never, ever spoken to me directly about the videos. There were a couple of follow-ups just to kind of tie everything up. Um, it got a lot worse before it got better. Um, and, yeah, it really, really upset me because that so much, so much of what happened was entirely unnecessary. Like, yeah. none of it needed to happen. Like, they're a British brand. I love them. And it pained me so much because I'd had some issues with Lotus. And, I mean, Lotus have always got issues, haven't they? But you could see mclaren following exactly the same path as lotus and you're like it's gonna end up one way like it's just gonna it's this is just how it's gonna be um and yet they just seem totally um blind and to be honest if there's a word that sums up mclaren as i dealt with them it it would be arrogance um they just think well we're mclaren um and they just they didn't care about anyone they don't care about their dealers they don't care about they definitely don't care about their customers like it even when we went to working and spoke to them it was very very obvious that unless you'd spent you know five or six million quid buying cars from them they just don't care about you um you know they they uh i wound up bumping into mike fluitt he did not even have the time of day to give to two customers that spent 400 grand with the company um that i have very little respect for you'd have thought if there's someone getting a private tour of the factory you'd at least sort of be hello hello i'm mike i'm mike i'm really sorry i'm really busy lovely to meet you go away um you know uh i was at morgan recently and and it was about as opposite an experience as you can imagine not much carbon fiber at the morgan factory um but i did bump into the ceo there and he at least said hello hello really really so sorry i'm a bit busy today but you know hope you're enjoying the place and uh, these things make a difference they make a huge you know? difference i still get a lot of hate 
um, from a lot of McLaren people. Um, I'm not even sure they're McLaren owners because they're probably not. Yeah, but I think I it's McLaren know. fanboys. Um, but I, I get some real bile, and I can I can post up the most innocuous thing. I remember when people were speculating about what became Artura. Um, someone posted like a prototype picture of it, yeah. and I just commented and said, "Oh yeah, it's going to be a, it'll be a V6 hybrid, and they've developed a new gearbox for it," which turned out to be entirely true. Yeah, and that wasn't exactly secret information at the time. And someone just laid into me, like completely in the comments, just, just totally had to go, "Oh, you're McLaren bashing." You do something. I really don't understand how saying it's got a V6 and a new gearbox is is McLaren bashing. <laughs> um, and people and people think I hate the cars. People think I hate the company. I don't. I hate what the company did. Um, yeah. And I don't. I, I, I think it was wrong. But I did the week the video came out. There were four reviews of McLaren cars, each of which got pretty much a glowing review because they're brilliant. Um, but sadly, there are things companies can do that I just I won't forgive. I get people to this day messaging me with similar stories, asking if I'll make a video, and I'll say absolutely no to all of them. Yeah. Partly because I don't want to be associated with just doing that all the time, but secondly because the only reason I did the first video was that I was there. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's a really tricky one that one, and like all everyone has bad experiences over the years with various manufacturers, dealers, a certain person, someone's done something, and there is an element of you know this sort of like journalistic side. If you showcase your life to some extent, cars and yeah. whatnot, and you are really preachy about a brand, and you never mention any of the bad things, or or there's or there's a brand, let's say like McLaren, I, they've not let me a press car anytime soon. I don't necessarily think they will. They might do. I would really love to drive them because I really like the cars. But I have a lot of friends who've owned McLarens or own McLarens still, and there have been a lot of issues over the years, some of which have generally all have been resolved. Some of them take a long time. Some people have had cars away from them for most of a year for things to be sorted out. Things seem to take a long time to get resolved. Um, But that sort of stuff. And this is probably why I would find it really hard to buy a McLaren. I think if you've got a car that's okay... I've got a friend that's got a 12C and it seems to be sorted and good. And I had a friend who had a 720S that seemed to be sorted. But if you've got one that seems to start going wrong, chances are it seems like that car might keep going wrong. Absolutely. The thing that frustrated me perhaps most off the back of the videos is there's a whole heap of owners who basically assumed I just made everything up. That's weird. And I don't understand. A, like... Like I said, I took a risk of doing enormous damage to myself with the video because Mm. for all I know, you know, Ferrari and Porsche and Bentley and, you know, everyone could could turn around and go, oh, that that JM, he did a a real nasty piece on McLaren. He's, you know, he's said some awful things about them. Like, oh, I don't know if we want to take a chance really on that. Like, they could have just said, no, no, as as it turned out, I actually gained a lot more respect amongst a lot of industry people because they knew that I'd been very honest about what happened and amongst a lot of my audience it did. But yeah, there were a lot of people out there that just assumed because they owned a McLaren and that had never broken that that must mean that everyone's experience is like that. And I don't understand, and I've tried to push it in all the videos I make, that it is really perfectly possible for 
both things to be true. Like, you could buy a McLaren and have a perfectly decent, nice, fine time with no problems. Or you could buy a McLaren and it'll be a complete and total nightmare. I don't think there's any car brand, really, that has only one of the two extremes. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that, you know, bought Morris Marinas and they thought they're absolutely fine. Yeah. But unfortunately, you like to, to try and... Uh, it reminded me a lot of my Lotus days where I'm like, a lot of the th- biggest problem that Lotus had, I think, was the Lotus customers themselves. As nice people as they are, some of them have gotten used to the bad treatment from the manufacturer so much. When anyone ever complained about it and said, hang on a minute, bits falling off the car surely shouldn't be acceptable. You'd be shot down in flames and told, you, you, you Wally, this is a Lotus. You know, that's what they yeah. do. They're lights. You know, they're lovely. And it's like, yeah, but if a Porsche customer tries to buy one of these and the dealer serves them awful coffee or it doesn't have cup holders and no Bose stereo, like, sorry, but if you want the company you love to succeed, you have to accept that there are other customers that are not you and some people it's, and even actually my petrol heady friends sometimes it's very hard to get them to understand there are customers that don't think like you do yeah you know yeah, and yeah, in yeah, fact yeah. actually as petrol heads we are the minority absolutely you know us people that care about how it drives how it sounds is it naturally aspirated or not you know what's the steering feel like what are the brakes like you know we are definitely definitely the minority of car buyers it's only because a lot of the people working at the factories quite like these things as well that we're lucky i mean a good car coming out these days is borderline an accident um you know in terms of like from a petrol heady perspective um or you've got a manufacturer that somehow like a kia kia's randomly they all drive really nicely um and the fact that that happens is a miracle because most of their buyers would not care if suddenly one day the steering had absolutely no feel whatsoever we get really upset about it but i did a video the other day with the the lotus evora and it's like clarkson love the evora didn't make them sell any you know all journalists basically hated the x6m like what an awful car what would you want one of these for sells like hotcakes like you know we (laughs) i don't think we have anywhere near as much influence over the general buying public as as probably a lot of people think um i would hate the idea of someone going and buying a car exclusively based off the back of one of my reviews that would terrify me yeah and everyone has their own opinions for whatever reasons and backstory and whatever that that is in and i i i'm sure you get it i i get it every now and then someone's like oh i've been looking at this car i've been influenced by what you've said maybe i've bought one down the line and you're like great i'm glad we agree like (laughs) i'm good but like i'm perfectly happy for someone to turn around i got a lot of not a lot that's that's an exaggeration some flack not flack really just questions over my 812 like why did you buy this car you talk all the time about lightweight manual involving sports cars and how cars have got too much power too fast blah 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 and you're like that's a very valid question. That is a very valid question. My answer to that question was, well, I've realized what I use my cars for. And I yep. still have some lightweight sports cars that can be used for fun driving and whatnot. But equally, I do weekends away with my wife. I travel a lot on motorways. I travel a lot around town. So having a lovely sounding car that has paddles and has a big boot is actually quite usable. Yeah, I'm looking for my next car, and one of my criteria is it must be automatic. I've yeah. never never gone looking for a car. In fact, previously when I've gone looking for a car, it's always 
must be manual. My biggest issue at the minute is I'm looking for something that's larger than my one series and is automatic. And my biggest struggle at the minute is not buying a V8 Vantage because I'm like <laughs> the petrol head in me will just go, oh, V8 Vantage. Well, I quite like an Aston on the driveway because wouldn't it be great to have an Aston, a Ferrari, and a Lamborghini? I'd be like, no, James, no, James, you Wally, you're going to wind up with three cars that all do sort of similar things, and the one car you need is not going to be there anymore. And it's like, oh no. But yeah, I had the, the similar sort of situation. I realised I, well, and, and doing the podcast has definitely sort of highlighted this. I ask everyone like a five car garage you'll get this question later and occasionally i get asked what i would pick and i do ruminate on the topic and the rea- like right now i own six cars so i would have to lose a car to have a five car garage but i, I you sit there and go okay but if i sold everything and started yeah. again what would i buy and often i think for most people the answer is different to what you currently own because you get mm-hmm. attached to various cars and whatever. And I'm sitting there oh, and yeah. I realised at one point in time, I was like, I own a bunch of involving driver-focused sports car type vehicles. And I had yeah. three or four at the same time, all slightly different, but exactly the same niche. That was a time when I was, I was driving my M2, had an old 911 that's like hotted up, for that sort of stuff. Uh, I had the F40 and I had my G3 RS. And at any given day, you could take all of them pretty much and they would do pretty much the same thing. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you, you want to have like, if you're going to have five cars, they should do something different. Yeah. Like, and I've got a limited size driveway here. So the Lamborghini was a real issue because that was a car unexpectedly acquired. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't really do anything particularly like it's my first supercar. But from a practical standpoint, <laughs> it doesn't actually do anything new. So it's like, yeah, I've got my Salikas coming back. So I was like, yeah, I'm. this is going to be hard. I, was, I keep trying to slim down the driveway and it keeps failing miserably. Um, so this is why the one series is going because I was like, it's just not quite big enough to fill that the one series is like the the other car yeah. you know like if i can't take the honda or the ferrari or the lamborghini or the toyota you're like i need the other car has to definitely be able to work in all seasons yeah. in, in all weathers you know with however many passengers you're ever likely to take like it's got to be able to do that and the one series can't um so it's like yeah i need to get something and it, it really really does have to be sensible like and it's painful because it's going to be not entirely sensible you know i'm still a car youtuber i'll try and justify it somehow but you know it's tough it's it's tough and would that be your only if if you when you replace it are you going to get an auto of sorts yeah that's the that's the hope that's the aim like it's not i'm entirely ruling out a manual it's just that i know in my heart that an auto would be better what i want is an automatic box that's good enough that you know when it comes to having some fun in the twisties it's actually still somewhat involving mm. you know so some of the older cars are like some of the older jags like s type and that and the xk the gearbox is just not good enough like no. it's a it's, it's a fine auto box but as a manual it's rubbish um so i'm yeah i'm trying to find something that's you know recent enough that the box actually is not horrible to manually operate um but then is also good enough that when you're just driving around it's nice and comfy so that rules out obviously all of the single clutch boxes and that sort of stuff yeah yeah i've had a double clutch as a daily for years and it's it's great it's great it's yeah. great although actually i've now just got an electric car a small electric yeah. car 
for town. Did consider did consider an electric car, but they just not. It's just the maths isn't working for me it's, at the minute. It it doesn't make. I I sold my S4 Avant, which was a bloody amazing car, like really good, reasonably yeah. good on fuel. Blah 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 blah. All that stuff, loads of space, and bought a little Peugeot E208, and they eventually were basically the same price, which is ridiculous because the Audi is like quite a lot nicer. Yeah. But I wanted a small electric car, and I was like, look, yeah. that's just this. You're just accepting the cost of what you've decided you want to do. Interesting. I had a couple of. Oh yeah, I asked the audience or some other people if they had any questions for you. Oh, there's um, at least one guy on Pissnets who said he had a question, so I really should do his question, whatever it is, if you've got it. Um, I, well, I can ask. I, I, I can go through. I've only got a couple. Um, someone said, "Are you going to put some?" I've never even heard of them. Fiamengi headers on your 550. Oh yeah. So there's a guy. It's Fabio Fiamengi. Uh, he makes these a six into one um, exhaust manifolds okay. for the car, so it would make the 550 sound like your 812. Ooh. That's what because the old 550s and that they sound quite different. Even the Enzo sounds very different to like yeah. how the F12 and the 812 sound. That's in the um, that's in the manifold. So you get this like okay, I've not got quite as many fingers, but it's literally they all meet at the same time like that. Yeah, and that's what gives it that that real wail and scream. Um, that was part of my original plan. However, now I've decided with the 550 to go down the originality and the classic A route. Mm. Unfortunately, no. So it will be always something that I think about, <laughs> um, but no, it's it's not going to happen. Is that? A similar sort of thing to the the old Mercs, the um, like S six hundreds that people make sound like Zondas. Yeah, oh, the yeah uh, F Spot wasn't it? Did that? Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> that's what it is. If you want your car to sound like an F one car, yeah, it's the manifold where you're going to dramatically because if you change like the back box and stuff, all you're really doing is making it louder. Yeah. Whereas if you want to change the tone of the sound, yeah, it's the manifolds and the wizardry that goes on there um changes it quite a bit also changing the exhaust on a 550 will change its character quite a bit because ferrari did a lot of work with the exhaust to try and make it work with the engine so that's yeah. one of the things they like to do um so i think that's one of the reasons that you don't have like a exhaust valve control and stuff on the ferraris um so if you put an aftermarket system on the 550 you actually lose uh, a chunk of low down torque which yeah. is what the car's actually really good at do you, so i do you have kind of be valves on that car there are valves on it yeah right. yeah yeah yeah, because you generally gain a little bit, a little bit of torque low down by yeah. having the valves, and then. But the annoying thing is, if you have them open all the time, or at least on a switch, they do sound a lot better. But you lose that little bit of. Always the problem with my Lotus set was it's like, do I want the noise or does it actually perform? And it's always like, does it perform better, or you know, does it perform better close or open, or is it just because I'm hearing it louder? I'm thinking it's faster. You're like, I don't know what's going on. But no, sadly, no. It's it's actually being going to be made even quieter because mine's had a midsection delete, so okay. it needs to go back to stock. So the 550 is going to wind up sounding like not very much at all. But that is how they were, and actually for that car in particular. I don't quite mind that. I like the idea of the sort of nice gentleman express type thing with Bit it. That more was refined for the car. Yeah. yeah, people said to me with the eight twelve straight away. People were like, "Well, when are you going to get some Novatec pipes for it?" I was like, "No, it's it's like no, it's plenty there. loud enough already, and I want to be able to use it." Whereas yeah. I've owned cars previously, and I own cars that are stupidly loud, and like yeah. you start them up, and I love going like doing your early morning four a.m. photo shoot or something just for fun, you know, go see what's going yeah. on. You start up a car that's like 125 decibels. You've, your neighbours are really not very happy. Yeah, I get on with my neighbours at present and I want to <laughs> kind of maintain that. I mean, the 812 GTS 
is still perfectly loud enough for me, and that will be quieter than your car. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, no. It's, it's, no, perfect. it's no, a really no, good volume, man. Like, in-car, yeah. cruising, totally fine. Put yeah. the window down a little bit, use some more revs. Yeah. Um, there was one, and this might have been it, uh, someone was asking about the PH vloggers thread and oh, said, yes. what's it like to deal directly with feedback, especially negative, because there's for the, for the people that have not come across it, there is a Piston Heads vloggers sort of thread. Yeah. I don't particularly frequent it, but um, people like yeah, to give their thoughts on whatever's going on. And I believe you, you go in and, and ha- say hello every now and then. Yeah, I do. Um, I try and do it where I can because I, you know, whenever I find my name being mentioned somewhere, I do like to um, kind of stick my head in, especially if my sort of, you know, good name is being dragged through the mud. Um, I try and you know i was sort of always saw myself on that thread as the kind of you know um little youtuber voice because tim was in it for quite a bit he sort of bowed out understandably so um but yeah i just try and sort of try and present sometimes some sort of justification or explanation for how certain things are because some stuff is kind of blindingly obvious and some of it is far less so um plus i don't think i probably conduct myself the way that other youtubers do um, or i don't think that i do anyway so i try and provide some perspective there will always be people that will just have a go sometimes in a environment like that you can actually sort of try and you know explain things to them and i have had occasions where i've actually had people when i've been at say track days and stuff i have had people walk up to me and been like i said something about you on piston heads or on facebook or something and i'm really sorry because like actually i fucking you know actually i've been here for 20 minutes watching you talk to people and i realized that actually i got you completely wrong and that's yeah. that's lovely um you know the the whole name calling all that jazz is part and parcel of being on the internet it's something that i knew was going to be an issue from before i started youtube and i just had to kind of be at be at peace with it you can't you can't be angry at the people having a go at you you just can't do it a because you'll never get any sleep because you'll just be raging all night long yeah um but also a lot of the times sometimes the information people present is actually useful information they're just not packaging it in a particularly helpful manner um you know i always say to people when they're starting youtube like you need to read through all the comments like even the bad ones even the negative ones you know there will be ones um that that people have a go the really weird thing this is mad so you have the little app on your phone which gives you all the the analytics and stuff and on there you can also you can get a uh the comments and it'll give you like the list of all your most recent comments and if i go on it and I'm suddenly getting loads and loads of abuse, usually about my appearance. I'm actually quite happy because, you know, like all YouTubers, I've got my subscribers, you know, my core audience base who are largely yeah. nice people that like me and what I do, and that's why they're subscribed. And they're quite nice and decent and pleasant. And you do start to build a sort of relationship with these people. You do start to recognize the names in the comments section and so on and so forth. You think, ah, oh, yeah, Bob987, oh, he always hates when I do this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and so, so um, when you start getting loads and loads of names you recognize, especially ones giving you loads of abuse, what that probably means is that your video has broken out of your usual kind of core audience yeah. and it's now starting to do well, particularly if you feature stuff that has like a really hardcore following, uh, Ford Capris, you know, some 911, stuff Electric like that, you know, cars. where they go, cars with, yeah, EVs, oh, Tesla, yeah, um, you know, those, those are the cars with the dedicated fan base and if you suddenly, your video suddenly starts doing the rounds and I think this is partly what happened with the McLaren video is just it did the rounds just 
everywhere. Um, so you start getting lots and lots of abuse on a video, and I'm like, actually, this is great, because this is a sign the video is doing well. But you do have to still read through all the comments, because amongst all the just the horrendous abuse that you get, um, and as a you know white male, I, I get pretty much as the least amount of abuse uh, on the internet as, as anyone ever will. Um, but there is genuine feedback in there. So you've got to sift through a lot of trash, yeah. but there will always be, you know, in the early days in particular, you know, if I'm getting hundreds of comments on a video, well, that would have been a nice thing. If I was getting tens of comments on a video saying they're too long, you're like, okay, so I need to address this. Video length is a concern. And you start shortening them down until suddenly the comments start going, oh, your videos are too short. You're like, okay, so it's it's all about finding a balance. I kind of think of, of YouTube as like, going bowling with a child you know and they have the you have the bumpers up and like it doesn't really matter that the sort of ball goes ding 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 you know as long as it gets to the end and they knock some pins down really they've succeeded and that's i feel like that child i'm like look it's not exactly the direct path that you would like to think but ultimately we did wind up where we were going yeah so you know that's how i kind of treat the comments but the pistons fred is they're generally quite nice to me, so that's why. And I've been on Piston Heads much longer than I've been on YouTube, so, you know, i still got friends on there and all that sort of stuff. And um, big shout-out to my friend Darren, who runs the East Anglian um, chapter, I guess you call it, and it puts on a lot of events, so he's a he's a really great guy. We've got uh, another couple of ones. What are your thoughts yep. on Lotus and their direction? New, I, don't, I wouldn't say new direction, but the future... Uh, the Avaya is one of the biggest wastes of time and money that I've ever seen. I just don't understand it at all. Um, Lotus as a company are currently in a very exciting phase where they're trying to do a lot of things. Um, this is this is where I need to remember the stuff that I know that I'm allowed to talk about and the stuff that I know that I'm not allowed to talk about. So... Um, there's a lot that's going on. They've recently announced, obviously, they've got this, the new Emira coming out, Type 131. Um, and I really hope with Lotus that they truly understand. And I know they've said it, but I hope they truly understand that there's more to being successful than making a great car. Because they've always made great cars. Yeah. And this is the McLaren thing as well. Is You know, in the, you got the attitude of McLaren from the 12C where they went, cool, so we've built the 12C, we've taken a 458, we've measured it, our car is better, it's done. And you're like, yeah, that's not really... You know, like I still am incredibly bitter about the fact that my supercharger failed on my Evora 400 within warranty, two years in, 24,000 miles on the clock, supercharger failed. I had to pay for my own courtesy car because my Lotus dealer, who I'd bought the car from, told me because I hadn't brought it to them for servicing on account of them being 100 miles away, I wasn't their problem. (sighs) Their words, their exact words. I asked £180 for a Hyundai i40 that I'd had to rent for a week so I could have a car. And I said, can you please pay me back 180 quid for this courtesy car? And they said, flat out, point blank, no, you're not our problem. Wow. And whilst dealers are allowed to have that attitude, Lotus could be selling you Enzos at 30 grand and they're still not going to shift them because that attitude is flat out 
unacceptable. Like, yeah. there's a root and branch issue in Lotus. McLaren is eerily similar. And unless they really genuinely have understood, no, the customer is not an inconvenience. Like, I want to see the boss of Lotus, whoever it might be this week, at a blackboard like Bart Simpson going, the customer will not be told to go away. Yes. You know, the, cu- the customer is actually required. You know, you can't just see them like sort of, you know, just someone making the place look untidy. Like that's not the attitude that you can have. I want to see reinstated. I saw um, years ago uh, a picture, and it must be from like the 60s or the 70s, and it was the Lotus production line, and above it, it had this slogan that said, Lotus quality is everybody's business. And that attitude is what you require. Like, they are small handmade cars. Things will go a bit yep. wrong on occasion, but there is a lot you can do to stop the car getting to the customer with faults, and there is also then a lot that you can do um, with... Uh, making stuff right. I mean, I had some um, uh, some work done to a car the other day by a, 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 a place that want to work with me a, as a YouTuber. They want me to do some promo for them. Anyway, the car came back to me, and I really wasn't happy with the the state that it was in. Yeah. And I, I so I text the guy who got me involved in everything, and I sent him some pictures and said, "Look, this is how this is how they sent my car back." And he just sort of came back to me and said, "Look, give me a minute." Let me deal with it. You know, he phoned me back the next day and he just said, look, not going to try and, you know, to, to, to BS you. Like, this is not good enough. We've had some issues with some staff. Clearly, something's been missed out here. Your car hasn't been checked over properly before it's come back to you. We're really sorry about this. We're going to refund you your money. Um, you know, we're going to take a couple of months to get our house in order. You know, look, if you, if you want to come and talk to us in a few months, we'd really love to do so. And I'm really sorry this has happened. Mm. And I said to him, I was like, thank you so much. Like, you're automatically now on my list of companies that I really respect. And he's like, what, yep. you're not going to shout at me? And it's like, no, why would I shout at you? Like, what's that going to achieve for either of us? Like, you've, you've, you've messed up. You've, accept, you've taken ownership of the problem. You've rectified it. Like, and you've, you've told me what the problem is. And hopefully when it's all fixed, we'll be able to... To, to sort it and carry on working with each other. Um, but you don't need car companies that stick their head in the sand. And I think one of the other issues that, uh, say, Lotus in particular have, um, that I found with mine, my Evora for the first... So here's the funny thing. I had hoped that with buying the Evora, I could put to bed this myth of the whole lots of trouble, usually serious thing. Yeah. So I thought, Lotus and reliability, that's a holdover from the 70s and the 80s. They can't be like that anymore. No, turned out, unfortunately, they definitely still are. First four months of my car, 25% of my ownership, it was not in my possession. Um, and the problem is, even if it's not on my if it's not on my driveway because the you know heater's squeaking, or it's not on my driveway because it's exploded, it doesn't actually matter. If it's no. not on my driveway, I'm not using it, it's therefore not there. I mean, they were very lucky that I wasn't actually paying um, you know, monthlies on that car, uh, and they're very lucky that at that time, because I just started YouTube, I did have lots of free time. You know, I worked out at one point, I'd spent like, you know, a thousand pounds just in like taxi fees going backwards and forwards yeah. to the dealership, you know, getting my car sorted because they were never giving me courtesy cars. And it's just like, you know, I was expected to pay for a courtesy car. And those are the little details that Lotus are going to need to to sort out going forwards and i'm i'm hopeful i'm genuinely hopeful that they will because the other thing with lotus is that i already have a fair 
certainty about it, especially from what I already know, the next car is going to be great. Um, Evaya yeah. is just totally forget it. It's complete stupidity. It's absolutely moronic. But the Emira is the car that they should have been building and the car that I'm genuinely excited about. Um, you know, they did really well with the Elise Final Editions because, like everything, the minute somebody knows that it's not going to be around any longer, all of a sudden everybody wants it. So, um, you know, I'm really glad they managed to shift a load of those. Um, and I hope nobody tries to be cheeky and flip those because that's going to end badly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful for the next car and that it's going to set the template for Lotus going forward and a Lotus that it not only has good cars, but that actually looks after its customers and yep. should be rewarded with having customers come through their door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have, of the cars I've driven, like I really liked the Avora. Like I really quite yeah. like that car. There's things that need yeah. to be changed. It's an old car. So yeah. just like stuff needs to be changed. If the same ethos is applies to the new car and it's literally like what a new car should look like, I can't, I, I can't wait to drive it. It's going to be wicked. I won't get to drive it, but I'm sure it will be brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll see. And then I think your your point about because I, I don't want to necessarily come across as like someone that like bashes McLaren just for the sake of it. Um, it's not. That's all right. That's my job. You're not allowed to do that. It's it's not like I don't have a problem with any brand. I only have a problem when there is a problem and it the way they treat you when you've got a problem. Or something goes wrong. That's it. If, if if that's not done well, that's when I lose it in a big way. Same like in a restaurant. You know, if there's something not right, you complain, they fix it. Or you're in a hotel and something goes wrong and they go over and above. Or they even preempt it. They're like, I can tell you've had a rubbish experience today and I've just taken a bit off the price or here's a bottle of wine or whatever. Before you've even complained about it, you are then raving about that brand or place or anything to everybody from that moment on yeah a customer that has a problem is actually in some ways much more useful than a customer that had no problems i was talking to a friend the other day about insurance companies like you never really know if your insurance company is actually any good or not until you need to claim from them so luckily i've never really found out if any of my insurance companies are actually any good or not (laughs) not had not needed their services but, you know, one day you'll find out. And like you say, exactly that with a restaurant. Like, if you say to them, eh, something's not right here, and they go, oh, we're really sorry. And you, go, you know what? There was a problem. They dealt with it. Yeah. Brilliant. I will use that company again, you know, because you now know that should the worst happen, they've got you. Um, whereas, yeah, unfortunately, there's quite a few companies, um, car companies and car dealers, that sort of take the whole, like, uh, go away. Like, it is, you know, it's not our problem sort of attitude. And you're like, no, it definitely is your problem. Um and yeah, so and as much as these see. things get hushed, they don't necessarily get hushed, but people don't talk about it because like owners often don't talk about it other than in like little forums and to each other. Um, yeah. But you don't necessarily want to, if you own the car, you don't want to tell everybody that they have problems or, or any of that because it's going to damage the price of your car. Yeah. But then again, the issues would- may not get resolved. I would love to say that McLaren learned from the experience they had with my videos, but the what happened to Drag Times recently would kind of tell me that they didn't. Yeah, that wasn't a good one. Uh, for the people that listening that don't know, uh, Drag Times is an American YouTube channel. I'm not sure what the guy's called. Um, he got to drive a McLaren Elva that was lent to him by a dealership. He posted some... They In America, apparently you can get away with this sort of thing. You can basically do 
film whatever you like, post it on the internet, and you're never getting in trouble. Did like naught to very, very fast in the car, posted the times, internet loved it. McLaren owners loved it. People that were considering McLarens loved it. And then McLaren said, take that video down. That's not what we want to be associated with or whatever. They also said to him that he was not a journalist. He's just an owner with a camera. Yes. And that, frankly, the fact that he didn't then drive that Elva through their, through their <laughs> door is amazing restraint. What The thing that kills me is like, he didn't do what I did. I did a 45-minute rant yeah. picking the place apart for all of their many faults. He did a video, which is the kind of video that we maybe see a bit more of, where he was like, look at how stupid fast this thing is. This is great. I have 100% belief his videos have sold McLarens. Absolutely. Like, as much as I'm sure mine have put people off, I'm sure he has sold McLarens. I never heard anything back from them. He had their VP of marketing have a go at him. They yeah. then backtracked because the internet, the McLaren Instagram was then awash with comments about this situation, rightly so. What should have happened was what happened with me and Morgan. So I, I did a few videos. I did some videos with some Morgans from Bell and Colville, who are a Morgan dealer, um, 18 months ago, two years ago. And I then got an email from Morgan about a month ago. And they emailed me out of the blue and said, oh, hello, James, you know, we're Morgan, you know, I'm their PR guy. And there's, um, we saw your videos that you've made and you're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, great. <laughs> and they're like, we really like the videos. He's like, but, you know, we do like to try and run press cars and stuff from the factory for reviews and so on yeah. where we can, which is the attitude most companies take. And it's like, oh, great. And he's like, um, we'd love you to come down to the factory have a tour, and then we'll send you out in a car. And it's like, oh, that's um, <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. That's, 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 that's really nice. And so currently one of the things I'm working on is trying to organise a group tour on a, on a Friday one day of a load of people, you know, subscribers and whatever, to go to the Morgan factory. And it's like, this is, this is brilliant. I actually did have some interaction with uh, McLaren PR after um, the videos that I put up. And I basically said to them that I think the best way for them to have dealt with things was just to give me a car for two weeks with no mileage limit on it um, so that I could drive it around and prove and go, look, no, no, they they can make reliable cars. Um, but I was told, no, there'd be a mileage limit on any press cars and they didn't want to give me one anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay then, all right. That's, that uh, that that's concept fine. that... And it's been discussed by other people and whatnot. But the idea that an owner with a camera is, like, irrelevant is the biggest, like, slap in the face, I think, to the internet ever. Because actually, owners, people that have spent their money on a car, that resonates yeah. with people that are going to spend money on a car. Now, you listen to... I've got my favourite journalists... And they will talk about a car and they'll go, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. And you take all that in. And as a car yep. guy, I'm like, yep, they know exactly what they're doing. But if separately there's someone I really like, you know, follow like their ethos and whatever, and they've bought the car and they still like it, that to me is yep. worth a lot more because someone's you coughed up money. <laughs> Yeah, he's done that. He's coughed up money. He's in with the brand. He's making good videos that people like. He's selling cars. And I saw my Clarence 
um, investor press release the other day which states quite how much money they're losing and it's quite a big number and what you definitely don't need right about now is Gerald Ratner running your PR um, it's just not worthwhile anybody that doesn't know who Gerald Ratner is go and google it it will amaze you it, that, that is how to destroy a company overnight and that's what McLaren Macy is sort of trying to do it's unfortunate yeah it's not a, it's not good really but anyway Ooh. What have, have you got some standout drives from the last year, two years, or even just your time on social media? I did the maximum speed of the Audi RS6, which is it's on the autobahn. I can tell you it was 174. Um, that, that's limited, was, right? That was limited, yeah. Um, and... I was listening to Push It to the Limit from Scarface <laughs> on the radio, and it was dark, and it was starting to snow. Um, it was clear. It was safe. Yeah. The only thing on the roads. But, like, yeah, that was that was quite memorable. To be fair, I took the 812 out the other day, and actually it was a brilliant drive because the world is starting to feel like it's coming alive again at the minute. It certainly sounded like it as I was driving the 812 through the villages. And there was some nutter. I mean, this was 8 in the morning. Right, and it was a very crisp morning. Like, I put the roof down on the car after ten minutes driving, where I was sure it was toasty warm, yeah, you know. Yeah. And there's someone in a hot air balloon, <laughs> and I'm driving along, and it's this beautiful, crisp, lovely blue day, and I'm sat in the car with the heater on full blast, and I'm still thinking, oh, it's a bit nippy in here. There's some madman in a hot air balloon. <laughs> but it's just a be- it, was, it was it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. Uh, and actually, the other day. I got to drive one of my real childhood um, dream cars, which mm. is that as much as I would say yes were anybody to offer me a go in, the, you know, a 288 GTO, an F40, an F50 or, or an Enzo, um, the one car that I've always had as my actual childhood poster dream car, like I always respected the 550, always loved the 550, always wanted one, but the one car was a Diablo. Mm. Um, and so a gentleman with a very nice Diablo six liter invited me to drive his car and I got to take that out. Um, and they were, it was on unfamiliar roads, which is always a concern. Um, but yeah, I managed to drive it and drive it properly. Uh, and it was, yeah, I was moved pretty much to tears. Like it was, it was really like after waiting that long, yeah. you know, to try that kind of car and also now doing the job that I do, whereas the car is not going to automatically impress me. Like it's not, it's going to actually have to work really hard to impress me. And it still did. And I was like, yeah, this was, that's awesome. That was, uh, I love, it's very, very, very important to me that, you know, five years into doing YouTube, having a Ferrari on the drive, having two Ferraris on the driveway, you know, granted one temporarily and being offered you know drives in all this sort of exotic and wonderful stuff it's still extremely important to me that cars can make me quite emotional yeah like it's proof that i'm not yet dead inside and that there is still stuff out there like part of me almost wants to never be able to drive a carrera gt yeah because that then sort of replaced the diablo as i got older you know i was about it's 14, 15 when the mm. Carrera GT came out. So you're like, that's full Top Gear adoration age, you know. And um, yeah, part of, I've passengered in one, but part of me is almost like, obviously if someone offered me a go, I would just leap at it in a heartbeat. But <laughs> yes, part please. of me is almost like, I kind of like it being the sort of, it, it means I've still got somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, like buying the Ferrari is like a big step because for so long it's like one day, one day I will own the Ferrari. And then you're like, well, now I do. So you're yeah. like, okay, well, I've, I've done that thing. So you're like, well, 
what, what's next? What's next? Like, what's what's the other thing? And you're like, so so I like that there's still a lot, a huge amount that I haven't done that still makes me excited. Like, that's important. That's really important. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. That is that is such an important thing. I worried probably about a year ago. I was towards the end of last year. I, I was getting to a similar point. Um, yeah. I'd just driven. I'd just driven an F8 actually, um, but yep. I was only allowed to drive it in sport, and I. I just didn't feel like it, it was doing it. It literally felt like it could have had 300 horsepower. It was just quicker. Like I, yeah. in sport, it's just so tame. And I yeah. got out of it and was just like, oh no, what's going on? Like I should, should have sort of enjoyed this. Um, and then I, I gave it quite a little stick off the back of that. But I believe it's because I wasn't allowed to drive it in a more Larry mode. And I think in yeah. a more Larry mode, I would have got a lot more back. It's, but the day it's a after, different car. The day after, and, and this is something I've heard from multiple people since. They're like, I, if, if I had to drive it under the conditions that you drove it, I wouldn't drive it because I don't think yeah. you get the experience. But the day after, and this is, this is like pretty epic, I got to drive the um, GTO Engineering 250 Charlotte oh, yeah, yeah. competition car. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, that, yeah. I got, back, got in that, drove it 10 minutes down the road, pulled over and just like sat for five minutes. Just like, oh my God this is unreal and that was a real like oh no no, it wasn't just the car it was almost like oh no you do still enjoy cars like you still get a lot out of this it's not lost (laughs) it's tough it's tough isn't it i remember going years ago to the um bristol hi-fi show because i quite enjoy a bit of hi-fi and a friend of mine invited me to go out there and you know you're sat in these rooms of people listening to like you know 40 50 60 thousand pounds sometimes an awful lot more hi-fi systems and you got all these people sat there, steely face, just. And it's like, do you not, do you not enjoy? And you could tell. What I found really interesting is you could tell the companies that love music. Right. Some of them were clearly very much like, we have built this new amplifier. We have measured it. It is, the, you know, this is a McLaren. You're like, we have measured it. It is better than anybody else's <laughs> amplifier. Whereas you get the other company, they're like, we're going to put on this old club classic. I yeah. remember listening to this in '93. You know, I was, couldn't remember much of the night, but this is a banger. And they're just like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. These these people enjoy. They enjoy what they yeah. do. You know, and it, it's it's tough and it's difficult for car companies as well because obviously we both deal with the PR side of things and it's difficult because on the one hand they have to be you know the face of a very large corporation on the other hand you know some of them they are car people you know they they do want to enjoy themselves and some companies are much better at doing that than others yeah totally i think i normally it sounds like a good time to do this wrap this up with five questions so you found out actually the first one most do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey not really sure i do i should i really should (laughs) to be fair actually when i so my current girlfriend uh we'd we'd met online we'd spoken for quite some time she was living abroad when we met so we'd spoken for for a good few months and then we eventually got to meet um and i basically had my e92 m3 a supercharged track car that i'd sold but i'd sold it to a guy who was in sweden and he was part xing his um very very heavily modified i mean it had fiberglass doors and bootlid and stuff like that uh renault uh, mcgann so i said to this this girl uh like oh um random question i know how do you fancy coming to sweden with me um 
I didn't realise, apparently, Sweden is, like, the number one destination for human trafficking victims, oh, like, in, okay. in Europe or something. <laughs> so her mum was having kittens. <laughs> I had no idea about this. Um, so we drove up there in the M3 relatively uneventfully, but then when we came back, um, the, the, the McGann had this splitter attached to the front of it that was very well secured, but only well secured to the bumper, which is just held on by plastic clips. Oh, okay. So it came to the autobahn. I decided to give this car some sticks, see what it would do. Got it to 130 and just... And this, this, this splitter just ripped off the front, just pulled the front bumper down and was dragging along the tarmac. And we then had to try and... With, with the time ticking, because we had to get our boat, I had to go and find the you know German equivalent of... Um, you know, Halfords or whatever, or a garden centre, to find, like, a bag of 100 cable ties <laughs> to cable tie this splitter, basically around the radiator, pretty much, or the front of the chassis, um, and then to, to hold it in place. So that was quite memorable, probably not for the, not for the right reasons. Uh, and after that, maybe a more recent one, I got invited on the Ferrari Roma launch, which is the mm. first and only press, press thing I've done with Ferrari. And because of stuff that's been going on for the last year, they were like, you know, because of everything, what we have to do is you have to get the car to yourself for the whole day. Like, oh, no, oh, that's dear. awful. How will I survive? <laughs> um, and uh, so after I'd finished doing my review, I still had about two and a half hours of the route left to do. So I just put on classic FM, the Italian equivalent, and so just basically lived nice. out my own Italian job fantasy, just driving this beautiful Ferrari Roma around the hills in Italy, just listening to classical music and waving at all the passers-by. That was quite special. That sounds great. That, and that's yeah. it's something I think it, you'll you definitely have this. Where if you're making con- like content slash filming stuff, chances yeah. are there's probably not too many moments where you're actually not making or filming or doing something just to like oh yeah, yeah oh, i've got an, an, an amazing road and an hour to do whatever and just go for a drive put the music on yeah. and forget about it yeah no yeah, that sounds lovely. very cool right. being able to not film is a luxury yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> next question five car garage unlimited value off you go okay unlimited value carrier gt Boom. done um my 550 it would yeah. have to be that one because it, it's specialness to me. Um, I would need a convertible, which the Carrera GT, I don't think, quite counts because it's a little bit impractical. Um, so, actually, as a daily, what would I have as the daily? Um, let's say, random one, Jaguar XFRS. Oh. Quite like in the French racing blue. Yeah. Um, with, with the silly little wing on the back, which yeah, I would yeah. have to have. Um, and a sunroof, um, the black and blue stitching inside. So you got two cars left. Um, I think. See, because there's a temptation here to then go for three five five because that is, you know, the ultimate. Yeah. Um, I think I'd, I'd put my Celica in there actually because I I've got a thing for rally reps. Yeah. Um, and to me, the Celicas of that generation, the Sega Rally thing, like, so there would have to be yeah. a Rally replica of some description in there. And I think the Celica is the one that I like the most. Yeah. Um, cool. And then round it off with, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, would you have some sort of track vehicle or no, classic? Track driving doesn't. Like track old. driving does not does not excite me that much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I like it. It's nice and all that jazz. Uh, actually, to be honest, and it's probably a cop out. I probably would have the H12 GTS in there. And it feels actually. This is one of the concerns I had because you know how it is. You know, you've just got your 812, and I'm sure already mentally in your head, you're working out what the next thing is going to be, despite not necessarily having the money, the space, anything stuff, else. Yes. You know, but that's not important. You know, um, and uh, so. I uh, I need to at some point work in an airplane joke into one of my videos and see how many people get it. You know, I, you know what have you done on YouTube? Well, you know it's a website with hundreds of videos, but that's not important right now. Um, so yeah, the eight twelve, the F twelve. Now I was kind of worried, like you know, if I already have the five fifty, will they feel like I'm doubling up? Yeah, actually no, it's, it's a completely different experience. Yes, both front engine V twelve Ferraris, but like no. No, they're different animals. Even the 599, I think, feels both different to the F12 and the 550. Like, it stands as its own kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that would that would be the 5. Sweet. Well, that'd be a good, great bunch. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed a £500 something or other on the side, what would you have? And you can name both or you can name one. Oh, uh, Carrera GT, and if I could find one for 500 quid, probably um, an old uh, 5 Series, mm. you know, like an E34, E39 yeah, yeah, 5 yeah. Series, if you could find one for that budget. Failing that, Skoda Fabia. Nice. Um, I like the idea, because I remember reading years ago, whether it's true or not, that Rowan Atkinson only had two cars, and one was like a Golf <laughs> GTI, and one was an a McLaren F1. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I could kind of, you know... I, I could, I could, I could kind of do that. I can get behind that vibe. Like I've, I've done yeah. that. Okay, I've got other cars, but my Audi did sort of technically get replaced by an eight twelve and a small electric car. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorted. Why do I need that? Why do I need more luggage yep. space? I realised the other day, so when I was younger, you must have had similar things. I think everyone's had a similar experience. You know, there was always that guy in town that always seemed to have something quite nice on the driveway, but you mm. never knew what it was going to be. Like, either he worked for a car dealer, or he was a drug dealer, or he yeah. just liked cars, or, or something. And then the other day, I was uh, had a Bentayga on the drive. Nice. And there's this guy walking his dog. And he lives in the village. I've seen him loads of times. I've never spoke to him. But he decided to come and speak to me and said, oh, this Bentayga, it's like, this is one of my like ultimate dream cars. Like, oh, yeah. me and my son, we're always talking about what it is you're going to have on the driveway next. <laughs> and I realised I have become that guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am that guy in the village. Yeah, I, I, I think for my street, I'm absolutely that guy. Because it's, it's the mix of yeah. like press cars, my cars, other people visiting, whatever. Like, it's always like random yeah. ass stuff like turning up or going and you yep. just want people must like if i lived on the street and i d- had no idea what the deal was you'd just be like i don't understand like how what what's going on how are there so many cars yeah <laughs> but no right well, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment uh lotus Avora is a good one mm-hmm. uh kia stinger stinger is such a good car there's so much stuff in it um in this country nearly any lexus like um especially like the ls you're like they are such a ridiculously well-engineered car and yet we just we don't care at all for the lexus badging here no not in the least um so you know that's they're criminally underrated um there's you know there's there's quite a few cars it's quite a good place britain to be if you're into sort of car bargains because there's a lot of stuff that anywhere else in the world would still be good money and here we're just like eh. 
I was looking the other day. You can pick up the Stinger GTS with the 3.3 V6 twin turbo, and it was someone selling one for 21 grand. It's still going to have four years warranty on it and 60,000 miles worth. Yeah. Like it's got. Yeah, 370 horsepower, it goes well, it looks good, got heated and ventilated seats, sat nav, Bluetooth, panoramic roof, it <laughs> steers really nice, got a big boot, like all the toys you could want. I did 3,000 miles in America in a Stinger and it was fabulous. Um, and yet we just don't buy them. And that is it, like there's so many cars now that have all of the, the toys that you used to have to spend obscene amounts of, but you have to buy the, the, the latest S Class for tons of money. Whereas yeah. now, like literally. Oh, what was I trying? Yaris that GR doesn't have heated seats. Like three hundred thirty-five thousand pounds does not have heated That's seats. That's because you've got the race seats in there. I've got the electric ones. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's got the comfy seats. Oh, and you don't have the heated. That's unfortunate. If it's got heated, I haven't yet found the button. Oh, in which case, it's going to be a it's going to be a dig. But I found the button on all the other Ferraris. So, but if yeah. it's got the full electric seats, they are heated. They have heated, and it, there's a button at the front, and it's a little circle. Oh, maybe. It's, Oh, maybe I've just not found it then. In which case, I probably should edit the review. Ah, oh, but uh, these, are, you... these, these are the, these are the things you find, like with a car. People are like you, idiot! How did you not know that? And I was like, well, I don't know. I've realised this recently <laughs> that like someone will give you a car. Uh, yeah. Prime example was when I had these Lotuses. Oh, I can't remember if it was an Exige or something for a little yeah. bit to drive. You get in the car, you've never been in it before. Someone just goes, "There's the keys," and you're driving it, and you're like, "Okay, blah 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 blah." And then someone's like, "Well, why didn't you press the sport button?" You're like, "I didn't know there was a sport button. I haven't seen the sport button. Yeah. It wasn't obvious to yep. me. I've looked at all the obvious stuff, and you just miss something that's like absolutely key." Until yep. and then, often I find I will find it the morning the car's going back. Finished the video, finished everything, yep. and then like Yaris GR, I'm just messing around with the traction control button. I think, and you hold it down, and it goes into track expert. It's like it's got an expert mode. You know, where was this? Yep. Why? What? Yep. Why didn't I know this existed before? <laughs> One of these things. Right. Final question. Most interesting car to you at the moment? What is on sale right now? I mean, it won't be any of the Ferrari range because it's actually the, the 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 only one in there that would be the one to say is the Roma because I'm very keen to see how well received that is. I've driven it and it's brilliant, but I'm just not sure how many people out there are actually going to go for it because mm. um, I think they're going to misunderstand what it is. But that I don't think counts. Um, the uh, potentially, you know, I want to say something like the the the. Um, maybe like the Maserati Quattroporte, like the current one, mm. because it's got all the ingredients you think for success. Like, it's a beautiful-looking car, despite being enormous. It has a Ferrari-built twin-turbo V8. It's like a close relative of what you get in, like, the, you know, Portofino yeah. in, in the Roma. Um, it makes a good noise. It's got a lovely interior, um, yet nobody buys it. No. Like, nobody. Uh, I've not driven one to know whether they're actually any good. I've driven the old one. Um, you know, apparently they're more reliable than they used to be, but maybe they, they've lost a little bit of the specialness. I mean, Maserati in general as a brand just fascinate me because I can't help but wonder how they still stay in business. Yes. Because you're like, how can you sell that few cars and still be a viable company? Like, it doesn't... And they're not like McLaren, where every car they sell is like, you know, 250 grand or something. And you're like, okay, you can make some money there. But you're like... I just don't. Yeah, I don't get it. I agree. Like, they're curious cars. When's the, uh, their new car must be coming out? What is it? MC Twenty? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that I don't get. I don't get that either. I, I, lich, I literally, I looked at it and I was like, oh, right, that's um, 
That's it, is it? Like, it, it just had no flair to me. Like, none. It seems it seems extraordinarily conservative. Maybe, and this does happen, you know, maybe you're one of those cars. You see it in the flesh and you go, oh, my word, that's gorgeous. And it ha- that's happened with a lot of cars. F8, I was in pictures, I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. In person, I'm like, no, actually, that's it's a really quite good a cool car. car. Yeah, it's not perfect, but you're like, no, the overall impression is like, wow. I had two people totally randomly tell me it's the most beautiful car they've ever seen. Um, but yeah, with the MC20, I'm like, yeah, it's got a V6 engine that sounds like nothing. Um, it's got odd looks. You can't really personalise it from what I can see. So it's just like, have you not done your market research? Like, do you know what you're up against here? Like, it just, it's a, a bit odd. So I hope it's brilliant because I would like to see Maserati do really well. It's just that I, I just don't know if they can. No, I don't know. I, I worry about well, all, all modern cars, but that this the sort of what we're going to see now with the you know the Arthur, the Artura, and um, and the yeah. MC Twenty is that V six hybrid turbo situation of like, what's it like to drive? Does it sound any good? That is the bit I'm worried about. Well, I I hope the punters are there. I mean, I, I, I hope, I genuinely, I mean, really, hand on heart, I hope two things of a McLaren. I hope that Artura is a raging success story. Absolutely. And that, you know, they, they can't make enough of them. And also, I hope that the, the, the thing works and works quite well on account of the fact that they've basically, they've bet the farm on Artura doing well. And they've also said they've signed up for five-year warranty on all the cars. Mm. So that means that if it isn't built to a really high, decent standard, McLaren owners actually do tend to use their cars. I would say compared yeah. to the equivalent Ferrari, McLarens probably get driven a lot more, especially the more affordable ones. So you are going to see cars being handed back with twenty or 30,000 miles on the clock. So if that car doesn't, if that car isn't working properly, if they suddenly find out they've got to replace all of those gearboxes, that's going to hurt. Yeah. Like, possibly terminally um, for McLaren. So I really, really, genuinely, for all I say about the company, and as I mentioned in videos before, I said these things because one hopes that it's like a... It's a very British thing, isn't it? You know how many times you've been to a restaurant and you've had an absolutely atrocious meal... You won't tell anyone. Yeah, you probably you'll just go home and, qu- and <laughs> quietly see. You'll quietly seethe about it, won't you? Whereas if you told them, sometimes you might get that experience we were talking about earlier, where they go, "Oh, blimey, so did that happen? Oh my word! No, this should not happen. Yeah. We care." And I feel like a lot of people didn't understand that when I say these things about McLaren and to McLaren, it's because clearly these issues are there, and it needs to be known that it hasn't gone unnoticed. Like it needs fixing. Yeah, absolutely. Hey-ho. Things need fixing if they're wrong. Otherwise, they're not going to they get do. better. They do. No one's perfect. None of us are perfect. I make loads of mistakes. Yeah. You know? Make at least two or three a day. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, just, it's just how you deal with them. You know, you've got to always strive to be a little bit better. And it's all I'm ever trying to do on YouTube is just strive to be slightly better than I was yesterday. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Absolutely. On, my, on a recent video, I had a, a little rattle from the mic. I was sitting on top and I, and yeah. I, didn't, I couldn't hear it. And I only knew after the fact, and you were there editing, and you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. And someone commented, and you're like, yep. Uh, Apologies, we'll try harder. (laughs) Yeah, I've put videos in the bin, basically, for fairly minor things, but just because I can't, like, if if I'm not happy with it, 
I'm not going to expect anyone else, unless it's something where I'm like, I cannot possibly redo this again. Yeah. Then it has to go out, and I've had a couple of videos like that. And actually, I've then put videos out of warning saying I'm really sorry, it's awful, and then people go. Yeah. What was wrong with it? Like it was fine. You're like, yeah, okay, maybe I, my standards are too high. <laughs> I somehow I doubt that, but you know, we try. Yeah, some middle ground. Right. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been really good to sort of meet and have a chat. I know. Pleasure, Sam. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Cheers. Enjoy the eight twelve. I will. And uh, yeah, have fun in race mode because you will. <laughs> <laughs>